0: What's up, guys? My Take Radio episode 213 for Thursday, uh, January 30th, 2014. Our call the number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call the number 347-324-3541. We have an action-packed show, a huge show for this week, um, primarily because we have Royal Rumble, UFC on Fox, Raw, CM Punk's departure, a ton of gaming news, a lot of entertainment news this week. The goal is to try and not go overtime. I don't know how that's going to work, but the plan is to try and keep everything under three hours, or at minimum, just three hours this evening, and not the usual four or four and a half or whatever other rhetoric or madness we've done. But again, uh, action-packed show for tonight. Three four seven three two four three five four one is the number. Three four seven three two four. Three five four one. Okay, so uh, they were telling me that they could not hear the intro music, so I uh, just got to make sure that uh, nothing nothing is muted. Does not seem to be the case, but stranger things have happened. So we will we will continue to play that by ear uh, this evening. If not, the intros and everything else will be added in post. Simple as that. Okay. So let's get into a lot of the stuff we got to go over tonight. Like I said, we have Royal Rumble, Raw, UFC on Fox 10, Um, any calls we're going to take as usual. We got a lot of entertainment news. We got a ton of gaming news this week, a lot of crazy stuff going on, especially with Nintendo. And we're going to get into that. Um, But first, I just wanted to get some housekeeping, a couple of things out of the way. Uh, Received an email today for um, a forum once again. Uh, you guys asking about a forum, and um, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things where we've tried to do the the whole forum thing, and it just doesn't you know it doesn't work. We've we've done it, I believe, twice on two separate occasions, and um, you know it's it's one of those things where we do it, everybody jumps on board, and where we're ready and raring to go, and then all of a sudden nobody, you know, nobody messes with it. Like it's, it's pretty dead, which is weird. But other than that, I mean, I'd be willing to try it again. Slick is telling me that people are not hearing the audio. Let's take a look. Everything's plugged in. Everything seems to be plugged in. So I don't know, uh, what's going on. Is that headset plugged in? Slick, everything seems to be good on my end. Of course, we got to stop for random uh, GFQ audios not working. Okay. Uh, Let me let Suncast know. Hold on a second. Sorry about that. Just a uh, communique to let him know what's going on. Like I said, I'm not sure if it's on our end or on his. But either way, if you can't hear the GFQ feed, you can still hear the Mixler feed. So make sure you use that. Or um, you can always go to the Blog Talk Radio feed, which is lower quality. Um, I'll see what Suncast says. If not, we're going to need to probably uh, dial out of the video and dial back in. But we'll see what happens. Anyway, as I was saying, people want to go with the forum again. And with Facebook and Twitter and all this stuff, we got a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of people saying that, uh, you know, the Facebook thing works better. Suncast is telling me to let AZ know. No problem. Bear with me one second, guys. Hold on a minute. All right, so I let uh, I let Az know what's going on. All the other audio on our end is working. Let's see. All right, he's saying it's not on GFQ's side. Okay. All right, my apologies. I got to see if everything is running fine. Seems to be the case. Uh, not on GFQ side. Uh, let's try this. How about this on the GFQ side? You guys hearing that in there? Let me know. Ah okay. It was a Skype setting. My apologies. Thank you guys. Thank you very much. Thank you for that, Andrew. All right. Now we're we're ready to rock and roll. So as I was saying, we wanted to do the forum. Slick Nose, and a lot of you regulars know that um, you know, it was it didn't work very well, and um, now Andrew is telling me I have an echo. All right. This is just not working tonight. All right. He says it's good now. This is going to be one of those episodes with a lot of fucking problems. <laughs> I'm going to kill you, Andrew, because I'm watching your chat, the show chat, and. um. <sighs> but I just cut off my audio. Jesus Christ. Hold on a second. audio is gone. Okay. (sighs) All right. Let's just power through it. If the audio on GFQ doesn't work, use the Mixler feed because obviously we're going to waste eight minutes trying to fix this shit and I'm going to lose my groove. Anyway, like I said, forums not going to do it because doesn't work. Facebook, Twitter seems to work the best. If you guys want to really, really go for the forum, we can set it up. And if it works and you guys are really going to participate, then we'll keep it. But I'm not going to focus as much energy into it because we've tried it. And like I said, it's failed miserably. We had a forum at one point where it was about 100 people, 115 people. And out of that 115, I can I actually say I can count on two hands how many we had. We had Slick. Uh, we had Val occasionally. Mist was in there. Uh, We definitely want to have, like Slick just said, at minimum 50 regular members just because that's the way to go. Otherwise, I'm really not going to try and do it. But see, exactly, we had 10 active members. Definitely not something I want to do. I will say that we did try the uh, MTR live blog for the Royal Rumble. Jay did run that this past Sunday. And minus a couple of little issues, the Royal Rumble live blog worked very, very well. Now, I'm going to pose a question to you guys. Those of you in the chat that want to go, that want to answer this now, can. I'm going to pose it on the fan page as well. Do you guys want to have Raw and the pay per views done as a live blog, or do you guys like the Facebook updates? The reason I say that is because a lot of people, you know, they complain that there's a thousand Facebook updates and they bitch and piss and moan about, oh, you know, you guys put out a thousand updates and it clogs up my timeline. So I'm curious and I wanted to pose that to you guys if you guys wanted to do um, everything as a live blog through the site. And that way you guys can just comment in the comment sections and um, make that a little easier. And that way either Jay or Slick or whoever's running the live blog that night can can really do that. I mean Slick, Slick says one person complained. Uh, actually Slick, it's funny that you say that. It was more than one person. A couple of other people messaged me privately. And these are individuals I know. So, you know, whatever the case may be, I had to actually tell them, listen, hide our timeline or, you know, just hide the news, the news updates, et cetera, et cetera. But a couple of people, they were like, yeah, you know, I had to unfollow the page. I have to unfollow the page on Monday nights and then refollow it because it's a lot of clogging up on my timeline. Like I said, I pose it to you guys. We we do this stuff to to benefit the listeners, so, you know, it's one of those things where I want to make sure that everybody gets the best experience possible, but I also don't want to ruffle any feathers. Like I said, uh, Facebook is a a great medium. The only problem we've been having with Facebook, and this is affecting everybody, and I figured I'd share it with you guys, is Facebook continues to want us to pay to get our updates out there. So, think about this. Let's use an example. On our fan page, we have about 3,400 people that are fans of the show, but... Any update we put out reaches maybe 100 people, 150 people. So what ends up happening is that if we put out something really cool or something we really want to share with you guys, not everybody sees it. I've had a lot of people this week tell me that um, you know, certain posts, they don't end up seeing them until later on in the day. And the reasoning is, and I wanted to explain that to you guys, is it's not us. It's that Facebook wants us to pay so that more followers can see what's going on. So in other words like um let's let's take uh this the uh, the trailer for Amazing Spider-Man 2 we put out which is the Super Bowl trailer. I put that trailer on the fan page roughly 2 hours ago. Usually something like that would get a lot of comments because it's obviously a brand new trailer. It's Amazing Spider-Man 2 and um people are really into it. But what ended up happening was I had at least 10 people tell me that they didn't get that update. Till about thirty minutes ago, so thirty minutes ago they got that update and and they didn't get to see the trailer like a lot of people were just pissed off, and I had to explain that it's not Facebook, and you know I see that mist is recommending twitter. I don't like to use Twitter because a lot of people don't a lot of our a lot of the audience is very segregated, not only for the show, but they're also segregated for just the, the the interface with Facebook or Twitter. We got guys that are primarily on Twitter. uh, Shout out to Javon Lewis. And then we got guys that are strictly Facebook, strictly Facebook fans that like to interact on Facebook and like to do that. So, you you know, I, I got to try and find a happy medium. If I could, I would do everything on the site and just eliminate social media altogether. Unfortunately, you know, in order to get our message out there, you gotta kind of leverage this stuff. So, again, if you guys have any suggestions, any changes, or wanna try, want us to try new stuff, I I always invite you guys to reach out. I know a lot of you get get a little bent out of shape, or you guys don't like reaching out on social media or whatever. Listen, you can email us or message us on the fan page if you have any ideas or if you wanna try and and do you know, something different by all means, let me know. And, and we'll try to accommodate it right now. We are spreading our content across the following three mediums. You have, uh, Facebook, we have Twitter. We are on Tumblr. It's MTR extras at, tu- uh, at Tumblr, uh, dot Tumblr.com. So you guys can check that out. So we have a Tumblr page, which gets our stuff. We have our Google plus page. We have of course, Facebook and Twitter. So, I figured I'd let let you guys know what's going on with that. Also, in two weeks, we will be at the 2014 Toy Fair. We're going to be working that event from the 16th through the 19th. So you're going to be seeing a lot of photos. You're going to be seeing a lot of crazy stuff. And we'll be sharing a lot of coverage from Toy Fair. So be on the lookout for that from the 16th through the 19th. There's going to be a lot of social media updates. So by all means, don't get bent out of shape about it. We're going to try and share all the new toys. We're going to see... Some new stuff from Transformers. Uh, We're also going to see some new WWE stuff. Got uh, an email about the new Turtles. So we're going to see a lot of new Turtles toys and collectibles. So we're going to try and share all that with you guys. Where applicable of course. Because if we got to sign any non-disclosures or any of that. Unfortunately we won't be able to share everything. But we're going to try and do that over the next four days. So remember from the 16th through the 19th. We will be covering uh, Toy Fair 2014. Also. Did want to let you guys know when the WWE app launches, we're going to be doing a lot more uh, live blogging and a lot more social media stuff. So be on the lookout for that as well. And last but not least MTR 5.0. We started doing beta tests on the new MTR Uh, did that probably for the bulk of the last three days. And so far I really am enjoying what I'm seeing. It's going to allow you guys to enjoy the site from a mobile component far better you're going to get a lot of cool stuff on the mobile side of things. The site's going to be a lot more responsive. Reviews are going to be more streamlined, and we're going to try and do more stuff with trailers. I know a lot of you guys wanted to uh, access the site on on the mobile side of things, and some of you guys were getting like a really shitty interface. We're going to run with a brand new responsive layout, which is going to work on your computers, your tablets, and, of course, your mobile devices. So you'll be able to enjoy all the different all the different devices that will access the show without any problem. It'll all be streamlined. All the videos will run accordingly. And the goal is to launch that before February is over. Um, I would like to launch it before the WWE app comes out, but that remains to be seen. But again, that's going to be one of the other things that we're going to be working on. We also got some upcoming product reviews that I am looking forward to as well. So there you have it. That's all the housekeeping. As always, make sure to keep up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. All right, so let's get right into tonight's MMA segment because there is way too much to discuss. So let's get the ball rolling, shall we? All right. So this past weekend, we had the UFC on Fox 10 event, which was actually a surprisingly solid event that ended with some serious controversy, that being the main event with Josh Thompson and Benson Henderson. But I do want to talk about uh, some of the other fights. As usual, we pick a couple of different fights to discuss um, on the undercard. Darren Kriukshank and Mike Rio was a very enjoyable fight. Uh, Darren Kriokshank took the victory via TKO at four minutes and 56 seconds. In the second round, uh, definitely a very solid opener, which I really enjoyed. Most of the undercard was really good. The fight between Alex Caceres and Sergio Pettis had a lot of fanfare going in. There was a lot of great martial arts on display from both guys. Alex Caceres, of course, Bruce Leroy, um, has become quite the fan favorite. Of course, Sergio Pettis is the brother of Showtime Anthony Pettis. That guy, he has a lot of of expectations put in front of him by by a lot of fans, but He went in there, he looked really good, but he ended up getting caught by a rear naked choke from Alex Caceres at 4 minutes and 39 seconds in the third round. I really, really liked the fight. I think both guys had a lot to offer, uh, showed a lot. They showcased a lot of great skills, plus they have a lot to offer the bantamweight division. I was really, really impressed with both, and like I said, Alex Caceres really weathered the storm, and he looked really good in that fight. With um, Sergio Pettis again, a very, very underrated fight, but a very good fight nonetheless. Donald Cerrone separated uh, Adriano Martins from his consciousness with a beautiful head kick. It was good night, Irene, when that head kick connected, and the cowboy continues on his winning ways. Uh, four minutes and forty seconds in the first round, it was it was a a, a bananas head kick. It was so crazy because the setup was so clean and the, the the leg, you know, it the head kick connected pretty much flush on the temple, and the guy just crumpled like a sack of potatoes. It was, again, uh, a very, very, very enjoyable fight. Again, glad to see Donald Cerrone back on his winning ways. Extremely, extremely awesome knockout to kind of close out uh, the uh, the later part of the card. Gabriel Gonzaga and Stipe Miocic was... Uh, uh, kind of a back and forth a little bit. Gabriel Gonzaga definitely looked really good in that first round. Stipe Miochik definitely turned it on, especially in the third round, uh, doing a lot of work in. Um, pretty much the fight ended with him going to town on Gonzaga, pounding him out. Um, but Gonzaga covered up, 20 seconds left. Miochik let him back up, but Stipe ended up taking the victory via unanimous decision in a highly, highly enjoyable fight. Now, Benson Henderson and Josh Thompson. this is where the shit happened. Um I was really bummed out that, um you know that pretty much Thompson really won that fight. I really felt that Thompson definitely won that fight. I see Andrew is being a complete psychopath in the chat <laughs> um, Thompson definitely won that fight. Henderson once again continues to kind of irritate the fans by getting these um. I kind of want to say these decision wins that that he really doesn't deserve. If, if if Ben were here, he'd say Benson Henderson skated on three of his four fights with victories. I mean, overall, I felt Josh Thompson definitely was the aggressor. If I had to say anything, I felt Thompson took three out of out of the five. I think he took the first round. Definitely. Um, the second round was his Henderson definitely turned it up in the third, the fourth. The fourth you could kinda give to Bendo as well, and I definitely gave the fifth round to um Josh Thompson. But uh, Benson Henderson gets the win via split decision and a lot of people got pissed off, including Stockton's own Nate Diaz, and he took to Twitter to really kind of call bullshit on that fight, and I'm gonna I'm gonna address that in a moment. But um let's talk about the bonuses. Donald Cerrone took fifty K for a knockout of the night. Alex Caceres took Submission of the night, 50K bonus, and fight of the night bonus. So, definitely a uh, solid night for both Caceres and Sergio Pettis. And, of course, Donald Cerrone taking that 50 grand. So, let's talk about Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz was very, very, very upset. And if you're a fan of the Diaz brothers, you should know that things like this are just... They're not not something that's unexpected when you're dealing with the Diaz brothers. Because those guys are... um, you know, they're fucking insane. So, I'm not I'm not shocked that it went the way it went, but I'm going to read you what Nate Diaz said, and um, it feels like reading a tweet from 1997. He puts, uh, Last night's fight was whack. First of all, these guys are here to cause confusion. I'm here putting ass whoopings down to their maximum effect, and you got these guys out here having a wrestling match. They're smiling and shaking hands, having a good old time instead of fighting for real. They're play fighting and this shit's putting me to sleep. That's not what I signed up for. Nobody wants to watch that shit and it's definitely causing confusion to the fans and the fighters. I don't know who's judging these fights. They should have lost, both of them should have lost the fight. Then you got this other motherfucker playing his Hollywood role on the sidelines. He was talking about Anthony Pettis in his hashtag silly ass suits getting paid to sit there and state his bullshit opinion like anyone gives a fuck. You've been here like two years and pulled out of half your fights. So I don't know why you think you're calling the shots. How about you win another fight or two then maybe you could fight me, motherfucker. PS. I thought Thompson's bitch ass won the wrestling match. So um it's uh it's it's crazy. It was, you know, Nate Diaz being Nate Diaz, but a lot of people kind of agreed. They felt that it was more or less a wrestling match. Um it wasn't really a fight and they didn't really they they played it very safe. A lot of people really agreed with Nate Diaz. I was You know, I was kind of on the fence either way because I felt that both, you know, these guys go in the cage and I shouldn't be in there passing judgment, but I kind of have to give Nate Diaz his due. As for Benson Henderson, who knows? I mean, I think a fight with Nate Diaz would make him a ton of money and some great mainstream exposure, but the Diaz brothers aren't exactly in high regard with the UFC at this moment. So there you have it. Nate Diaz being Nate Diaz in in typical Nate Diaz fashion. And like I said, a lot of people really did agree. So we'll, we'll see what happens, how it pans out. As for Josh Thompson, his future right now is uncertain, but I, I really would like to see him fight. I think he's a great competitor, and he did not look terrible in that fight. I felt that, once again, you give it to the judges, all bets are off. So on the Bellator side of things, Bellator started putting together their Bellator 110 card that goes down February 28th. Of course, the light heavyweight tournament is going to be in full effect, as is the flyweight tournament. Of course, the big one on the light heavyweight tournament, Christian Mfumbu and Quentin Rampage Jackson, and King Mo and Mikkel Zayats will be starting things off in the light heavyweight tournament. So be on the lookout for that. That's February 28th, and that's going to be on Spike TV. Former UFC competitor Jonathan Brookins has a brand new home fighting for Legacy FC. Uh, Mick Maynard... The promotions owner told MMA Junkie that he actually, Jonathan Brookins, signed a multi-fight deal and will be debuting against Cody Fuller at Legacy FC 29. That's going to be happening March 21st in Tulsa, Oklahoma, of course, with the main card airing on Access TV. So, it's been a while since we've talked about Tito Ortiz. If you guys remember, Tito got arrested uh, for a DUI. He crashed his Porsche into a concrete barrier on January 6th. He was arrested and blew a .12 on the breathalyzer. Ortiz had been partying at the Playboy Mansion before the crash. And, you know, he got caught out there. If he gets convicted, he faces six months in jail and a $1,000 fine. Of course, everybody's saying that since it's his first offense, he probably won't see any jail time. More than likely, he will get probation and an alcohol education course. So, definitely, uh, hashtag... Harsh times for Tito Ortiz. Be on the lookout for uh, Jenna Jameson, as usual, saying something terrible about Tito and possibly trying to take hit her kids away from Tito as well. Because what else would she do, considering that you know there's not too much that a fifty-year-old succubus can do during her free time? So I feel bad for Tito, but he should have known better. Partying at Playboy Mansion—it's not like you're some sort of a clown. You should have had a car service take you home. Now look at you—you got—you got you to go to jail. You got the $1,000 fine, alcohol education, and for what? Just saying. So, of course, Dana White is on the hype train for the UFC, uh, the Ultimate Fighter Brazil uh, series, which I'm very, very upset is not airing here in the States. On the contrary, what you're going to have to do if you want to watch it is you're going to have to get the UFC Fight Pass. Big shocker there. So... Basically, what's been happening is that Vanderlei and Chael actually got into a fight, a legitimate fist fight during the taping of the show, and one of Vanderlei's assistant coaches actually got a sucker punch in and caught Chael. Uh, Dana White said that it's complete insanity over there. It's madness, and um, he's really looking forward to the season airing, but considering the amount of hatred these guys have and the fact that you can't even watch it, on Spike TV, and we're stuck. Wa- we're stuck watching the Ultimate Fighter nations. It's it's very very disheartening. On the contrary, I feel that um, they could have they could have done a better job. They could have allowed us to really get into this season. Unfortunately, I um, you know, I'm a little bummed that you got to pay the ten bucks to to enjoy what's probably going to be one of the better seasons. Val says that Chael is going to die down there, dude. It is, and from what I've been reading, this is what Dana says. Dana says um. These guys are back there doing the usual, Chael's being Chael, Vanderlei's being Vanderlei, but they did get into a a, a legitimate fight, and I got to fix a mess down there because obviously Chael ended up getting caught by one of Vanderlei's guys. So uh, think about it. There, there's fistfights between the coaches on a regular basis. The fighters hate each other. Chael is in enemy territory. It is, it is the makings of a fantastic season, and the only way you can see it is if you got to pay the $10 for the fight pass. It's it's definitely pissing off a lot of people. UFC Fight Night 37 is final. That's going on March 8th at London's O2 Arena. Alexander Gustafson will be taking on Jimmy Manua. Uh, Melvin Gillard will be taking on Michael Johnson. Uncle Creepy, Ian McCall, is taking on Brad Pickett, which is going to be a great fight. Um, Omari Akamadov will be taking on Gunnar Nelson. And then the prelims will be able... ...to be seen on the UFC Fight Pass starting at 12.30. The main card will also be on UFC Fight Pass at 3 p.m. So once again, another great card, looks very solid, can't watch it on TV, you gotta use the fucking Fight Pass. There you have it. So, clearly with the UFC Fight Pass, we know that Dana White has been very, very adamant about the, the service. And they actually was interviewed by Fox Sports about the WWE Network... And Dana White feels that the WWE Network is ridiculous. And the reasoning is the following. He says it's ridiculous. I hate to sound like I'm attacking the WWE or devalue what they did because Vince McMahon, say whatever you want. He's always smashing us and talking shit about us. But I'll tell you this. I was watching WWE when I was a little kid and when Vince was a commentator, the guy's been kicking ass, breaking rules and doing what people said he couldn't do over and over again. It's like, you know, this guy's basically saying that everything we do is worth $10. That doesn't make sense to me. If he pulls in 2 million subscribers, he's crushing it. So it's a risky move. It's a crazy move. But Vince has been doing risky, crazy shit since the beginning of time. If anybody can do it, maybe Vince can do it. Now, here's, here's the thing about that. The reasoning that Dana White is, is, is feeling this way. You, look, the WWE Network, regardless of, regardless of how you feel, is an incredible value because you're getting all the pay-per-views, you're getting you're getting all the special programming, you're getting all the events. The only thing that is a factor is the fact that we don't know what the wrestlers are going to be paid because wrestlers are paid based on pay-per-view buy rate. So they get They get checks based on how many people buy pay-per-views and the bigger the pay-per-view buys are the bigger the checks are for the performers. A great example of this and you guys may recognize this is from WrestleMania. A lot of times when WrestleMania airs on pay-per-view they do like a battle royal or something crazy like that and that allows other performers that don't get a lot of TV time to get on the card and get themselves a couple of extra dollars. Now again, I'm sure I'm sure Vince McMahon has an idea of how this is going to work. And I think, listen, you're looking at this the wrong way. It's very easy to say that this is going to hurt the performers because you're looking at it from the standpoint of nobody's going to buy the pay-per-views. But what's happening is that all the people that may not have paid $60, they're going to pay for the service. So if you sell, let, let's take an example. Let's say you sell 60 million pay-per-views you sell 60 million you get 60 million buys for whatever reason and all of a sudden you launch the WWE network you turn that 60 million into you know 125 million 150 million the fact is that you're 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 getting a larger fan base you are losing an average of you know 50 dollars a person but you're still getting more people subscribing to the network and that's where the thing is in Dana White's case the he's He's segmenting his programming. In other words, you have the Ultimate Fighter Nations on Fox Sports 1. You have UFC on Fox. You have whatever other UFC fight nights are televised. But then international events, special seasons of the Ultimate Fighter, you're losing those. And what's happening is that those cards are going to be the only cards that you're going to pay $10 for. And think about this. It's okay that you're paying the $10 if you want to see those cards, but WWE is giving you tons of other programming. You're getting original programming, you're getting past you know, episodes of WWE Raw, SmackDown, Nitro, ECW, AWA, uh, countless other episodes and programming that they're going to try and put out there. The UFC is just telling you, hey, you're going to get these cards that we don't feel like airing on Fox Sports and you're probably going to get seasons of the ultimate fighter that you may or may not give a fuck about. It's definitely questionable. I understand where Dana White's coming from, but I also understand where Vince is coming from with excuse me, with regards to how the network is supposed to be structured. And yeah, you can look at it and say, yeah, you know, these guys they're going to they're going to not make as much money, but again, it's very questionable because you don't know for a fact if people are going to be making that kind of money. We we don't know it right now. There's a huge what if scenario. A lot of guys can go in there and buy and, and pick up the network and it'll be huge. It'll be it'll be very huge. And like Jay said, like Netflix, the price is gonna go up after a while. I'm sure it's gonna start at ten dollars to entice everybody, and over time it'll gradually go up. I'll be honest, even if they said hey, it's fifteen bucks a month, I'd still pay it because in essence you're still saving an arm and a leg for every pay per view. Like I said, you're you're spending nearly $800 on pay-per-views if you're buying them every month. And everybody that I know either goes to a friend's house and they order a pay-per-view, they all chip in, or they go to see it at a bar. Or, as much as I hate to admit it, people pirate the streams. That's just how it is. And the UFC, they're, I think that the problem with the UFC is that they didn't flesh out their app as well as they should have, but I will say this, the UFC is going to watch what the WWE pulls off with their network, and they're going to continue to make improvements. This is an ever-evolving business. Now, I can understand in Dana White's case why he's why he's saying that, because he feels, in essence, they're devaluing the product. Again, we'll see what happens. As for the UFC Fight Pass, I've tried it, and... Um, it's pretty good. There's still there's still some 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 bugs that have to be worked out if you sign up for it. I think it's still you're still going to get a free trial, I believe till I the early part of March. If you do it till the early part of March, you're going to get uh some decent content and then if you want, make sure you write it down on your calendar and you and you pull out before they hit you for the monthly fee. I mean, that's what I'm doing. I've been watching it using the the free trial and it's not it's not bad. It's not bad at all. It's just not a great app. Simple as that. I'm very bummed to report that one of my favorite UFC fighters, Pat Barry, is taking a leave from MMA and has actually been released from his UFC contract. Uh, His uh, management company, Sucker Punch Entertainment, mentioned it. Uh, Pat Barry himself mentioned it, and um, you know I'm a little bummed. He comes out of the uh, comes out of the UFC with a five and seven record but extremely popular. He has an 18-6-1 pro kickboxing record, and they're saying that that's probably what's going to happen. Pat Barry's going to go back to kickboxing. But again, I'm very bummed. Every time that guy goes in there, he gives it 110%. Super exciting. Always, always dynamite fights. There's always going to be knockouts of some sort. I mean, sometimes he's been on the receiving end of them, but he's always been an entertaining fighter, and I'm very bummed to hear that he's stepping away from the sport. I'm sure if he goes back to kickboxing, I'll probably be able to see him on the glory kickboxing events that they do on Spike TV. We'll see what happens. But again, I'm bummed just because he was a fan favorite and a a fighter that I personally was a fan of. So there you have it. Um, Let's talk about TRT this week. Of course, TRT has been making many waves. First of all, uh, Vitor Belfort requested a TRT um, exemption for his fight. But but check this out. Frank Mir requested a TRT exemption for his fight this weekend with Alistair Overeem. How crazy is that shit? Um Frank Mir revealed to MMA Junkie Wednesday morning that the New Jersey State Athletic Commission granted him a TRT exemption for his upcoming fight against The Reem and um this is going to be the third time that Mir has stated that he's got Full permission to shift natural testosterone levels in an effort to regain physicality. The other two times was when he fought Josh Barnett and then when he fought Junior Dos Santos. So it's very interesting because you're fighting a guy who has a huge cloud over him about being a chemically enhanced fighter and you're going and taking TRT. In any case, TRT or not, Frank Mir needs to win this fight. He's riding a three fight losing streak for the first time in his career at 34 years old. Either one both of these guys in essence are fighting for their job. Simple as that. Both guys are fighting for their job any way you slice it. Um Overeem, of course, that came in with a ton of hype. He suffered some really shitty losses. Uh from what I've been seeing in a lot of photos and a lot of blogs and a lot of MMA websites, um, he's actually become smaller because he wants to work on his cardio on his cardio. And as I read that, you know, I'm a huge fan of Alistair Overeem going back to the pride fighting days, and I said to myself, dude. Cardio or not, you better you better be working on making sure that your jaw doesn't get checked because that's really what it is. It cardio has nothing to do with getting a punch to the face and going to sleep. Doesn't matter. The only thing cardio is going to allow you to do is run around the cage and not get punched in the face. And it's weird because Alistair Overeem has great striking. His Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is pretty solid, and you know it's 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 definitely a, a must-win situation for him, but also for Frank Mir. Both guys are. I'm very excited for the fight, but one of these guys is heading to the unemployment line. And I really don't want it to be the Alistair Overeem because that guy, he has has that it factor. He has that potential to be a star here in the States. And he just hasn't been able to hit his groove and hit his stride. But again, we'll see what happens. The Battle of TRT goes down this weekend. And we're going to see who gets unemployed and who keeps their job. Another guy on TRT this this story was just fucking terrible so we all know that Bigfoot Silva tested positive for elevated testosterone following his fight with Mark Hunt at UFC Fight Night 33 what i'm about to tell you may may creep some of you out and make some of you possibly vomit so again be aware this is it's it's not pretty anyway so Silva's manager was on the MMA Hour, and he said that the real reason for being on testosterone replacement therapy was because of this. Uh, This is one of the guys that really have an authentic technical reason to be on TRT. He has uh, acromagaly, which is the pituitary gland, overproduces growth hormone, and that unbalances all his other hormones. Now listen to this. When I started managing Antonio Silva... He was actually lactating. He has extremely low testosterone, so he has a real reason to be on TRT. I didn't you know, with regards to the TRT process, he said that he didn't take part in it, and there were some miscommunications between him and the doctor. Silva says he plans on continuing his treatment, and his manager obviously agrees. Right now, Antonio Silva is serving a nine month suspension, but regardless of the fact the guy. His image is definitely tainted. Simple as that. I mean, outside of his losses to Kane Velasquez, he had a great career with Overeem. He knocked out Travis Brown, and he was part of one of the best uh, heavyweight fights in MMA history, which is, you know, it's no small feat. But here's the thing. he The fact that he's lactating. Now, now there's always been things about when you overproduce estrogen and you develop, you know, bitch tits which you know is pretty much guys if you've watched fight club you know of about bob now now the guy on fight club bob he um he took a lot of roids his body produced a lot of estrogen and he developed bitch tits that he was bitch tits bobs now listen to what i'm saying he started managing this guy and this guy had to take trt because he was lactating and he had hormone imbalances now the reason that this is very strange to me is that all of a sudden you needed to be on TRT for that. It's it's just a very, very weird turn of events. Make, make whatever case you will. The fact is that his levels were high and he got suspended. Simple as that. Now, like I said, if it was the mistake of the doctor or not, it's, it, it's, it's not one of those things. Again, we've talked about this before. As a professional athlete, and even as just a regular human being, you know what you put in your body, period. I don't care who you are or any of you guys can attest to this. We've all gone to doctors for different things. And the fact is that when a doctor gives you any sort of prescription, any sort of medication, he's going to tell you what the medication is for, what side effects you might have. And, you know, not to mix it with other medications. I find it incredibly hard to believe that that his, his doctor would prescribe him TRT, tell him to take it the day of the fight, and not be prepared to make a statement or to explain to the commission why he chose to take that course of action. I'm sorry, it doesn't make any sense to me. It really doesn't. On the contrary, even if you don't know English, a needle is a needle. It's like, hey doc, what the fuck is that? You know, and like Val said, it's all about how much to take in a certain period of time. It's true. You know what you're putting into your body. Either way, um, this, this this guy's career is is in the toilet. It's it's in the toilet for the time being. Like like Dana White pretty much said he was going to bury him, and he did. So I, I don't know what's going to happen now. I mean, I'm sure he'll come back and they'll give him a couple of fights in the UFC, but he's not going to get those high profile fights. That we've known him for having, in you know, in his previous outings. Simple as that. We got to talk a little bit, a bit about injury news. Uh, Raquel Pennington will be stepping in to replace the injured Juliana Pena for the UFC 171 card taking place March 15th. Of course, very huge card. Uh, Johnny Hendricks, Robbie Lawler for the vacant welterweight title. Carlos Condit and Tyron Woodley, Miles Jury and Diego Sanchez, Hector Lombard and Jake Shields. Ovin St. Pru, Thiago Silva, and Kelvin Gastelum and Rick Story. So, pretty much in Raquel Pennington's case, this is really crazy what's going on. Juliana Peña was injured in her training camp. She tore her ACL, her MCL and her LCL from what I'm talking about because she was attacked by one of her training partners by somebody in her gym. So she pretty much tore all of all of those ligaments and part of her hamstring and she is going to be out of action For a year and a half. It's fucking crazy. Out of action for a year and a half. She tore all those ligaments. Due to some shitty behavior. From one of her training partners. And she is out for a year and a half. Now think about it. This girl she won the ultimate fighter. Riding a huge wave of momentum. She made history as being the first woman. To to win the first female ultimate fighter competition. Ready to go into the UFC. And this is what happens. On top of the fact she's out of the she's out of the sport for almost two years it is it is insane dana white Dana white was was livid if you follow Dana White on Facebook or on Twitter you may have seen some some updates about it and it, it it's it's crazy that that's what went down he he pretty much broke it down and said that she injured all tore all those ligaments it is it is insane that that would happen um he pretty much said that her training camp sucks. She needs to go to a new sc- to a new training facility with a new camp, new instructors because it's a travesty that this would happen to such a promising fighter. Either way, Juliana Pena is on the shelf for the foreseeable future. So we got to talk about MMA in New York State, which is something that we continue as New Yorkers to pray for, and um, we just we just don't we don't get lucky in the least when it comes to that. But MMA Junkie is reporting that they're going to try once again to get the ban lifted for the sport. New York is the only state in the U- in the U.S. that doesn't allow professional MMA fights, but it looks that they will try once again to see if they can get it done. Uh, again, I'm not 100% sure if it's possible. I think that there's got to be a lot of money given out. A lot of palms got to be greased for this to be successful. I mean, if if the UFC gets the opportunity to put on an event Here in New York State, uh, they would generate at minimum $135 million a year in revenue, um, including Madison Square Garden and other arenas throughout the state. Now, here's the thing. You have the UFC at the Garden. You could do the UFC at the Barkley. Nassau Coliseum. You got three major areas that you can do it. And once again, it's just not happening. And it's funny because a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, the UFC is just—they're not—they're not greasing the right palms. That's not even part of it. The part is that there's a lot of guys that are just relying on antiquated thinking and aren't giving uh, the UFC a fair shake. Of course, the big one being Sheldon Silver. Uh, Sheldon Silver said that he would consider the bill this year. He hasn't supported it, and um, you know he talks a lot of shit. Sheldon Silver, for all intents and purposes, is a scumbag. A lot of a lot of uh, of a lot of people here in New York State speak. Speak terribly of him, especially after the issues that went down with regards to sexual harassment with the female aides here in New York State. Sheldon Silver is definitely uh, not a well-liked individual, and he's been one of the many guys that has been a a, a roadblock in getting MMA sanction here in New York State. We'll see if it finally happens. Look, we got the Super Bowl this year, which you know pretty much if you if you work in Manhattan, you know that. You can't even go down there. The Super Bowl is taking over uh, New York City. The game itself is being played in New Jersey. Uh, the UFC fight is in Jersey on Saturday. So it's just a, a great, great time to be a sports fan here in New York City. It's just the only problem is that Times Square is pretty much a circus. There's a giant toboggan set up and countless other shenanigans going on. But either way, I think that if the UFC had the opportunity to put on an event at Madison Square Garden, it would be huge I think that the turnout would be insane. And just the the amount of revenue it would generate for the city, it would, be, it would be substantial to say the least, especially considering that we're trying to generate more revenue and create more jobs. Just something to put out there. All right, so the finale of the Ultimate Fighter Nations is pretty much a lock with Patrick Cote and Kyle Noak, but also Michael Bisping has been cleared to meet Tim Kennedy in the main event for that, of course. The uh, the middleweight and welterweight finals will also be on that card, as well a couple of fights including KJ Noons and Stam Stout, uh, Mark Bochek and Evan Dunham and Mitch Gagnon and Tim Gorman. Last but not least, it wouldn't be an MMA segment without Brock Lesnar being the subject of discussion. Uh, Dana White did a uh, released a statement to TMZ saying that Brock Lesnar wants to fight in the UFC while he's still under contract with the WWE. Uh, Dana White mentioned that Lesnar may be interested in fighting again when his schedule clears up. So there you have it. Brock Lesnar wants to get a fight in the UFC while under contract with World Wrestling Entertainment. Now, there's a couple of factors that you have to look at. This is a very, very huge business decision if it goes down and will actually open up the the gates for co-promotion between both organizations. I'm sure that Vince isn't going to be a guy that's going to want that but you also have to think about it you take an active wwe superstar you put him in the octagon and you pray to god that he doesn't lose i think from from a from a gambling perspective it would really validate brock lesnar's legacy in the wwe if he did that but the problem is like i said co promotion who's going to make money and what kind of an, uh, what kind of an opponent are you going to give him You can't give him a tomato can because people are going to see through that immediately. But you can't give him a guy that will beat him to death because Brock Lesnar, we all know, doesn't like to get hit. He doesn't. He doesn't know how to react when he gets hit. That doesn't take away from the fact that he's an incredible athlete and he was a a, a great heavyweight uh, fighter in the UFC. But again, this is a guy that came into the organization with... One, I believe it was one professional fight before he came into the UFC. Not only that, but he fought the bulk of his career and was champion all while having diverticulitis. So these are things that you have to take into consideration. Not only that, but just being Brock Lesnar, you got to say to yourself, damn, now that I feel that I'm 100%, maybe I can do better. I think that the WWE money is an easy payday, but I think from a validation standpoint, I think Brock Lesnar feels he has something to prove and honestly if if the organization decided to take a shot with that WWE would be in line to make some decent money especially from a co-promotion standpoint i'm just saying whether that pans out or not remains to be seen but Brock Lesnar definitely wants to get a fight in the UFC while uh, while being a WWE superstar i'm intrigued i'm definitely interested to see how that pans out and of course Once I hear something, I will make sure to let you guys know. Of course, Brock Lesnar right now is scheduled to work a couple of Raws up until WrestleMania 30. Um, Of course, WrestleMania 30, all signs are pointing towards him and The Undertaker squaring off. Make of that what you will. But that is going to close out this week's MMA segment. Let's get into some wrestling because damn, there is a lot of shit to discuss. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! Now get the gold! So we got to see the WWE Royal Rumble with the with the with our colleagues at GFQ, uh, Jay Santi ran our live feed, our live blog, and it was it was an interesting, disappointing, and anger-filled night for a multitude of reasons. Uh, first and foremost, obviously the Rumble itself, uh, the lack of Daniel Bryan, a ton of factors, but there were some high points in the entire card. First up, the kickoff match between uh, Cody Rhodes and Goldust against the New Age Outlaws. If, if you didn't think for one second that they were going to put the titles on the Outlaws, you're, you haven't been watching wrestling long enough. Now, you're probably saying to yourself, why would you take the belts off the Rhodes brothers and put them on, a, on, on two old guys? Here's, here's why from a, from a business standpoint. The Rhodes brothers are going to be a solid tag team regardless. With the belts or without the belts, people are definitely going to be rooting for those guys. Now, I felt that if they did lose the belts, it was going to be because they were going to set up Goldust and Cody at Mania. Whether that happens or not, for the time being, remains to be seen. But you have to look at this. You put the belts on the New Age Outlaws, these guys aren't there trying to stay over. What these guys are going to do are going to make, they're going to validate the tag team division. You're taking a, an established tag team, a well-known tag team, and it's, it's like Jay just said in the chat, it's an easy transition to another team. Right now, the tag team division in the WWE is coming together quite well. You have the New Age Outlaws, the Rose Brothers, the Usos, Ryback,sel if you even want to talk about that. You have the Wyatts, you have the Shield. You know, you, you have a couple of guys you can throw out there. You have Xavier Woods and, and R-Truth. There's definitely a, a pretty solid tag team roster in the WWE. Could it be better? Absolutely. Could it have been, Could it have benefited from a, a team like the American Wolves? Absolutely. But, again, losing the belts to the Outlaws wasn't terrible because they're not going to stay champions for very long. On the contrary, um, Road Dogg is an agent. I believe Billy Gunn is an NXT trainer. Those guys, they're going to want to apply their skills and their craft to preparing the superstars of the future, and because of that, it's it's not something where they're going to stay champions for a long time. A lot of people were like, "Oh, this is bullshit." It's Triple H putting his guys over, blah blah blah. And yeah, you could look at it that way. You can look at it as Triple H looking out for his boys, but you also got to look at it from a validation standpoint. While I like Cody Rhodes and Goldust as a tag team, they weren't they were ba- barely doing anything as champions. It was either. Getting beat up by Brock Lesnar or random matches with the Shield, it was they they were treading water. If if you're gonna take a, a group of guys and make them tread water, I'd rather they tread water and not hold the belts. Simple as that. On the contrary, I think in Road Dog and um, Billy Gunn's case, they they're adding a little something to the tag team to the tag team division. Again, it's not great, but they'll do their job. I think they're they're passable and' they're, and they'll be legitimate enough that they'll pass the belts on for for quite some time. Um, I know that Andrew is asking for the dial-in number it's three four seven three two four three five four one again three four seven three, two four three five four one for anyone that wants to call in during the wrestling segment. as I said it was it was a really good match. I really enjoyed it. Um, but I'll tell you what it definitely was eclipsed by Daniel Bryan and Bray Wyatt. Now, when you look at this match, you're probably saying to yourselves, oh, you know, it's fucking Bray Wyatt, he's not that great. You are 100% mistaken. Bray Wyatt has the tools to be a beast in the WWE for the foreseeable future. His weird exorcist spider crawl, uh, his mannerisms, his old school offense that he utilizes, eye rakes and a lot of uh, a lot of brawling tactics, it works. Not only that, but Daniel Bryan, once again, can get a great match out of anybody. And and I said this two weeks ago. Every one of these guys needs that match that puts them over the top. And in, um in Bray Wyatt's case, this was his match. This was his moment. Daniel Bryan made Bray Wyatt an upper-card guy with this match. And it's unfortunate just because people felt that Daniel Bryan was going to be in the rumble. It was going to be good. Even though that wasn't the case, the fact is that Daniel Bryan was a factor in making Bray Wyatt an upper card guy. That's it. Simple as that. And I was I was, I was was thoroughly, thoroughly impressed with that match. I hear that AZ is on hold. Let me bring him in because I'm sure he's going to want to have a lot to discuss. Andrew. Stop, brother. You tell me, man, that Bray Wyatt Daniel Bryan match I know we were watching it and, you know, Bray Wyatt definitely showed he can hang in the main event. What did you think?
1: I thought it was phenomenal. I, I mean, I thought it was a fantastic open to the match. Uh, to the, to the pay-per-view. It was the crowd was hot The match was done really well. It was a super tight match. Uh, and I was happy with the finish. I thought it was great that uh, Brayway went over.
0: Yeah, Bray Wyatt needed to go over. I mean, I've talked about this before. There's a lot of guys that need, you know, in the battles of wins and losses, some of these guys need it, and I think Bray Wyatt needed this win.
1: I mean, I, I think, Did you? were you over for the match, or did you miss the match?
0: No, I was over when this match was in full effect.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was fantastic. I mean, it was a great match. Um, I thought it was a good start to the pay per view. I mean, you had the Atwells match, with the crowd, which the crowd was into, and I thought you had this match, which the crowd was super hot. Um, and then everything seemed to slowly fall apart after
0: that. Yeah, it definitely, fo- it definitely fell apart. I mean, le- you know, going into from this match, which was red hot, into the Big Show Brock Lesnar train wreck, which a lot of people were saying, you know, the Big Show came into that match injured, so they really just had to work it out. I kind of felt that the beating went on for a lot longer than I would have liked. And I also felt that if you hit a guy with a chair 72 fucking times, that he shouldn't walk out on his own power. That should have been a stretcher no, job. He
1: shouldn't. And you know what? It was, it was really reckless because those chair shots, regardless of them being to the body, are really fucking painful. Yep. He has taken some painful chair shots. Uh, He probably took about 20, well, more than 20, probably 40 chair shots to the back uh, to an injured guy to the arm that's really reckless. What they should have done was do a protected head shot, and he just F-5s him right after.
0: Right. And that was
1: it. It Just ended that way. Go to some stupid vignette about the rumble or or something about uh, the following match and just call it a day.
0: Well, Jay Jay says that the beating it told was a story with that match about
1: him being injured, but there were two problems. One, it went on a little too long with the right. body chair shots. Number two, he walked away.
0: Well that Jay says the beating was needed. Brock had to show he was not afraid of show and a proven monster. That's fine. But the match itself was not even a two minute match and that included the pre match attack. So you have basically a two minute squash and like like I said, and and you know you reiterated that you the it went too long the chair shots and Big Show walked out on his own power. It just really did not help. And then they did the same with Cena. Yep, they did the same with Cena, which which you know I'm glad you mentioned it because the the Cena Orton match is a match we've seen a thousand times, a thousand different ways, and it was crazy because and and you can vouch for this. This match legitimately the crowd turned on the promotion. In one fell swoop, they yeah, turned yeah, they, the crowd.
1: They turned, Rich. They turn, but I actually I, I guess I don't know if you mentioned we had a we had a party. Everybody was over my place. I'm I'm one of the few people that actually enjoyed the match. I actually thought they did a good job telling the story of that match. Uh you know, they weren't going to get, it wasn't going to win matches of the night. They absolutely knew that. Uh, the crowd had turned. They knew the crowd was turned by the time that match started. They kept it slow. Um, but the last five minutes of that match
0: sold it. I mean, it was a good match at the end. That match clocked in at roughly 20 minutes, based on based on what various sites recapped. It was almost a 21-minute match, and I agree it wasn't a bad match. It wasn't. On the contrary, it was towards the end where they started hitting each other with finishers that I was like, all right, now it's starting to pick up. The problem is that it felt very paint-by-numbers, and when you're laying out $60, you know, and that's the match that you get, it feels like like you're not getting your money's worth because you see that match any Monday night. Yeah,
1: I mean, the problem the problem is that the, regardless of who was in that position, uh, unless, if it wasn't Daniel Bryan, nobody wanted to see it. And that was the big problem, and that was a that was story of that entire pay-per-view. That crowd wanted to see Daniel Bryan. Uh, they saw him in the beginning. And in reality, I think him losing that opener told the story that he will be in the Rumble. And right. that's what people wanted to see. Yep. They wanted to see the Rumble match.
0: Yep, I felt that. All right, he lost the rumble. He's going to try and win an opportunity. I mean, he lost the match with Wyatt. I thought, all right, he's going to get checked out by the doc. He's going to come out bandaged up, and he's going to be in the rumble, and people are going to go ape shit. But they decided just not to go that direction. I mean, they were. We've heard on various websites, and we've seen on various websites that Cena and Bray Wyatt is going to be the match for Mania, and and you know, obviously, they kind of set that up. I don't know if that's going to be a hundred percent the case. But they did set that up at the Rumble, which was fine. I just felt that Orton and Cena just pretty much. I think the crowd is just, and it's not even the crowd. I think wrestling fans in general are just tired of the of those two clogging up the main event.
1: I feel like you know, and I've always said this about matches, and I've always said this about uh, the WWE. It feels like things are a little like a half a second to a second before. And I feel like that's what's happening with these pay-per-views now. That uh, I-, I like to call them Brayway. That that's the name I've selected for <laughs> Brayway and Cena. Is happening one pay-per-view too soon. I can that- a- I can that's agree. That's an elevation match. Yep. You have that match to elevate uh, uh, Bray Wyatt, but in reality, it should not be happening at WrestleMania. That is not a necessarily nope. WrestleMania match. What the the match for WrestleMania should be the Shield versus uh, the Wyatt with the Wyatts go over and the Shield
2: breaks up,
0: right? But but WWE and their infinite logic are going with the Shield, which I was going to talk about it during Raw. But fuck it, the the Shield and the Wyatt family at Elimination Chamber to to reinforce what you're saying. It's true once again. One pay per view too early.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's really. Uh, I mean, this is probably the most erratic moment in professional wrestling that we have had in probably the last 20 years. I mean, it is really a state of PR blitz for them at this point. They had the whole Daniel Bryan uh, debacle happening, Uh, Batista becoming the new X-Pac with his, I mean, they should recoin that phrase of X-Pac heat the Batista heat at this point. Yep.
0: Batista, uh, was... his
1: his his run as a babyface, as a guy that's over, it's done. Uh, CM Punk is is gone. So what what happens at this point? I mean, I'm still hoping this is all a giant work, and if it is, it's brilliant. But unfortunately, for professional wrestling booking, it is way too smart for it to be real.
0: Yep. I can I can attest to that, and and on top of the fact, so it
1: your work, I should say.
0: No, I mean I can attest to that. But when you look at the Royal Rumble match itself, the pacing of that match, you know, CM Punk went in number one, Rollins came in at two. There was a lot of great storytelling in there. I mean, Corporate Kane's involvement, which they fucked up because you we yeah, saw him, the, you right, know.
1: I mean, all of us throughout the Rumble, we were into it. We yep. actually enjoyed the Rumble. Yep. Until about number twenty.
0: Yep. That was it when when we got to the number. Was,
1: oh my God! Where, where's Daniel Bryan?
0: Well, not only that, where's Daniel Bryan? Where's Bad News Barrett? You know, a lot of guys that they said were gonna be on there. Xavier Woods. A lot of these guys they didn't use them. Now let let's be. I, I will be honest in saying that if you if you got rid of Bad News Barrett for Alexander Rusev, that's fine because they always introduce a new guy at the Rumble. That I can understand. The Kevin Nash entry was good because Nash came in, Nash came out, but which the, was the good.
1: How big was the pop at the party?
0: Oh, With the pop. Pa- when, when Nash came in, we all popped for that because th- we knew that Nash... Everybody,
1: everybody at that party. When that NWL music hit, we all went berserk. We knew yep. he would be in and out, Yep. but it's, I mean... It tells you something. We didn't pop for
0: anybody else. Nope, but not only that, Nash came in at 14. You built that huge buzz, and then you kill that buzz when you let the great Kali come in at 16. It's like, what what happened yeah, to I mean, Sincara, Ricardo Rodriguez?
1: a lot wrong. I mean, there's a lot to be said. The, the guy who books the Rumble, for people who don't know, is still Pat Patterson. Yep. Pat Patterson is one of the only people that could possibly book that Rumble. He invented the Rumble, right? And he books the Rumble, and it's a very difficult thing to book as far as uh, you know booking goes for a match because you have to time everything perfectly.
0: That's right. Uh, you
1: know, I don't know if it's the timing that's off. I, he's getting older; it's, some stuff is changing. Maybe someone else is doing some of the work. But with this Rumble, the storytelling towards the end was totally screwed
0: up. Yep.
1: Now, if I were to do, let's do some fantasy booking, Rich.
0: Yep. Because we were doing it
1: throughout that entire show. Yep. If I were to fantasy book this thing, the final four would have been Seamus, uh, Roman Reigns. I'm sorry. Uh, Roman Reigns, Batista, Daniel Bryan, and CM Punk. You know how you make everybody happy? You have CM Punk screw Daniel Bryan and throw him over. Yep. Then you have Batista clothesline uh, CM Punk out of the ring. Daniel Bryan and CM Punk go at it on the outside. And on the inside, it's Roman Reigns and Batista. Batista still wins. And now you set up a secondary match in Mania. Right. With Daniel Bryan and CM Punk, nobody in that crowd would have been upset.
0: Nope, not at all. They
1: know for a fact they're getting a CM Punk-Daniel Bryan match in Mania.
0: Well, here's that's one way I I would have done it. The only other way I probably would have done it would have been it should have been Batista, uh, Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, Roman Reigns, and the rest of the Shield. And the way it would have I, I would have had it set up was Punk would eliminate Rollins and Ambrose. You know, Bryan and Rollins. I mean, Bryan and um, Roman Reigns would square off. And what happens is at that point, what you could do is at, right there, Roman Reigns would eliminate Batista, and you know Punk and Bryan would square off. Think that Batista was set to
1: win. I mean, there's no question about it. Unless let's forget
0: oh, no. about
1: any other scenario. No, 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 of course, Batista but Batista was going to win that thing. So how do you how do you make that worth uh, worth it? Well, here's what: make Batista's win not be overrun by the Daniel Bryan chance and the boos. What I, make that happen by giving them a secondary match where people say, "Oh, okay, CM Punk and Daniel Bryan got eliminated. These are the two fan favorite. We like Roman Reigns, but we, we could all acknowledge that he's still a heel. So yeah, we're technically not supposed to like it. So how is Batista going to come out the winner? You give them a secondary option.
0: That's one way to look at it. I would have. I would have had. reality, not I would have had Reigns. I would have had Reigns win. And then what you do is at the elimination chamber, he puts up his 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 victory, you know, his spot at Mania up against say Batista. Because what happens is you want to send the crowd like they, you want to send them home like they got their money's worth. You get what I'm saying? Even if Reigns would have lost a shot to Batista at the chamber, you could have attributed that to oh, you know, the rookie, the rookie got beaten by the crafty veteran. You know what I'm saying? But you would have sent yeah, the crowd home happy. Yeah, but if
1: booking though, Rich, in their logic that won't work, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Roman Reigns is still... I, I love the guy, okay? I really like him. I like his character. I think this guy's going to be huge. He is still really green.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: And people are going to think, no, he's not. I've seen him have good matches. No, you've seen him have, have protected matches. Yes, I he's can been agree. protected. And all, everybody in the Shield has been protected the entire year. He looks good in the ring because they're protecting him. But when you put him up at a main event level... But he cannot have this guy's not ready to have a twenty-five twenty-minute match where it's a
0: back-and-forth match. Oh no, the guy's so green. No, not at all. But what I'm yeah, saying Batista's is Batista's not ready either. Oh no, I, I don't think Batista was was sucking wind that entire match. Oh yeah, Batista took a powder. Oh, but but what I'm saying is wall. no. What I'm saying is that I would have I would have taken the gamble and let Reigns win just for the feel-good moment, but then you take it away at the throwaway pay-per-view, and still you go, oh, man, remember when we- when Reigns won the Rumble and he lost it? You know, you could do some shenanigans, whether it's with the authority or even with his own partners, the Shield. Hell, they could cost him the match where he loses the opportunity at Mania, and you create the breakup yeah. like that. No, that's a possibility,
1: too. I mean, the best thing to do with Batista. If they were set on Batista winning... They should not have him appear on Raw the week before. Nope. What they should have done is have him just appear. Right. Uh, I don't think I don't think that point five, point .3 boost in the rating was, I mean, that dramatic that they, they would have lost money if they did not have him appear on Raw. It's they true. They should have kept them off, had him enter as a surprise entrance. Yep. And have him win. The crowd would have, regardless of how the finish was, they would have been wild because here's a guy that has not been on TV for four years and now he's won. Holy crap.
0: Exactly. I think I think that would have been better. I think the problem was that they wanted to pop the, the rating to get that build up for the pay-per-view. And WWE forgets the Royal Rumble sells itself. You don't need to have that huge lead in with Batista and Alberto Del Rio. 100% number
1: percent right, Rick. Huh? Hundred percent, like they do not need a lead-in. Nope,
0: you don't need a lead-in. Not only that, but then you have Batista come back at the expense of Del Rio, who has about as much heat as this bottle of fucking water. So it, it was a waste. It was a waste. You make Del Rio look like a bitch. You make Batista look like a douchebag, and that's the problem too. When you look at Batista, he's a cocky guy. You can't sell him as a guy that you can cheer for and relate to. You can't. The guy's a ho- You know, he's a he's a Hollywood actor if you want to call him that. And when he comes out, he has that aura about him that he is better than you. He's not like Daniel Bryan. He's not like CM Punk. These are the guys that you can relate to on some level. When I look at Batista, it's like, yo, Batista, he has swag. You know, he comes out, not when he came out with them medium-ass pants, but like when he came out Monday, you know, he he had good clothes on, he had, you know, designer jeans on, Louis Vuitton belt, fresh pair of Tims. You look at that guy and you go, that's a cocky motherfucker. But you don't root for that guy. I, I like
1: how he went from a shady club promoter to yeah. a shady drug dealer. Yep,
0: he went from he went from the guy you bump into in the city to the guy that may be walking down the street in Corona. That that's exactly what that is. He went to like the guy that hangs outside the barbershop selling selling nickel bags. I'm curious if something to him,
1: you know?
0: And he got I'm Botox. Uh, I don't
1: like his MMA trunks. It's weird. It's almost like when Goldberg came back and he was wearing those weird trunks. Um, I, 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 I'm really, I'm. By the way, I'm still convinced that the CM Punk thing is a work.
0: Right. Uh,
1: I, I don't think, I don't think this is, this is legit. I don't think he's walking out. He may have had a dispute. He may have walked out the first day, but I think they're going to turn it into a major work.
0: They might turn it into a major work, and what they're saying is. And, and you know, you, you bring it up, and it's fine, we'll go into it. The, I, what they're saying is that Triple H felt di- feels disrespected, but it's Vince that's handling all the negotiations because Vince has the better relationship with punk. And you know what? whether that's whether that's fiction or that's real, that wouldn't shock me in the least because you're looking at it at you got to remember Triple H will always look at every guy that's over that's not a Jack guy as not being the guy. Like Vince McMahon has a big well, man so, so, so fetish.
1: He has his own idea of what a main eventer is. But right, I, I did a whole thing on Men today about kayfabe two two point oh. Right, so kayfabe died in the nineties. That's right. Any wrestling fan could agree about uh, agree on that. Kayfabe totally died in the eighties. Everything became a shoot. Yeah. Vince Russo style booking. Uh, shock you know shock TV. Everything is legit. Everything is real. Everybody goes by real. And so K-Fade dies. But in reality, that hurts professional wrestling. The fact that you're watching this, the smarts are watching this and saying, well, no, k- Lita and Kane aren't, aren't in a real relationship. That kind of kills K-Fade. Yep. And someone at the time said, right, Internet kills k say, yes, absolutely. So how do you do it? You make everything a shoot-style work. You keep it off. You do it behind the scenes, and you restart taping. I I, I think it's brilliant. I think I I, I really do, and I know they tried it in the past with Dean Ambrose. I mean, do you you remember when Dean Ambrose and uh, Mick (coughs) Foley went at it on Twitter?
0: Yep. It was fantastic. Uh,
1: Dean Ambrose was on NXT. But in reality, that was a total work. Everybody could read through it because why would a guy in developmental that's trying to get a job attack this main eventer? doesn't make sense. You know what? It's a work. But when you get Meltzer, uh, Ray Keller reporting, oh, my God, CM Punk left. Right. And WWE has not acknowledged it. You know what? That is the best way to create KP's again.
0: That is true. The thing is, with CM Punk abruptly leaving, I'm sorry, but even even Major League Baseball, the NFL, even the UFC, when a major athlete steps away for whatever reason, whatever it is, that business reports on it. The fact that WWE is so quiet means one of two things: either A, they're gonna do damage control and Vince is gonna save it, or B, they know that if they go with it public, if they go out with it publicly and CM Punk speaks on it, the fans are probably gonna side with Punk. So they're they're they're, they're treading. It's true they're treading a very very gray line with regards to you know is it kayfabe or is it not? But I will say this. If 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 Vince McMahon can salvage this debacle of it, let's say it's legit. If Vince McMahon can sa- can salvage this debacle, it's gonna paint a huge blemish on Triple H's promising career because Vince McMahon's gonna be like, dude, what the fuck, man? The guy almost walked out the first time, and we gave him what he wants, and now the guy's gonna walk out a second time when him and fucking Brian are on the verge of fucking making us a fuckload of money. What are you doing? Because at the end of the day, Vince is all about business. He's all about money. That's why the Ultimate Warriors in the fucking Hall I mean, of Fame.
1: if it was Vince 20 years ago, you know what, he would have told to screw up and walk. But exactly. Vince, it, it's a different Vince now. It's yep. not the same Vince McMahon that you had during the Attitude Era. That's not right. the same Vince that let you know, all these people walk. That's right. But, I mean, to go back to what I, what I was saying, I, I really think if And here's my problem, okay? In a perfect world... Right. This is the new way of doing cafes.
0: Yep. With the internet,
1: the new way of doing angles, and yep. it's absolutely brilliant. You know why? Because a thirty-year-old in me is believing the storyline. That's and right. That is the best way to do it. The the line between the internet, the the IWC, and the average viewer is merging. That's right. And it's getting really weird for them because it's the first time it's merging. They've always separated the people that go to the events. The average person. Right. And a person going on a forum is totally different now.
0: It's true. I mean,
1: for a long time, it's been different. But But... now it's merging because why? That Cena generation fan is no longer seven years old. That's right. They're in their early teens.
0: That's correct. And where
1: are they getting information from? The internet. That's right. So how about their parents? Their parents are now in their 40s and 30s. That's right. That attitude era fan is now getting into it. It's a much smarter fan, and they need to fool us in some way. So why not do it in the best way possible? Don't report on it. Make it feel real. And us Assault, I think it's brilliant if, she, if this is the angle that they're going by.
0: Well, you have to look at it like this, too. CM Punk was eliminated by Kane in the Rumble. It's still part of the authority. It's still part of that. CM Punk could have... Ju- yeah. Right. CM Punk could have... You could easily spin that. CM Punk was disgusted with the authority's behavior by allowing an executive to get in the Rumble and eliminate him and cost him a title opportunity that he walked away from the business. That he walked away from the organization. The shit is believable. But the problem is that Triple H has fucking damaged it if it's true. He's damaged it because he's like, yo, fuck you. I'm going to wrestle you at WrestleMania. And it's like, I'm sorry. Triple H's main event clout is in the fucking toilet. I wouldn't watch Rish- Triple H wrestle a fucking dish towel at this point for $60. Fuck that. I
1: mean, here's the thing about this. Triple H, if this is, if this is a work, and I, and, I, and I honestly believe that it is. Triple H is brilliant because he is a come to everything the internet has said about him since 2004. Right. You know, that picture, have you seen that meme of him holding every single title ever? Yep. Where he's holding every WWE title, the Divas title, the women's title, the WCW title, the slam he's on his shoulder, and he's holding the shovel? Yep. That is what the internet thinks of him. Right. If he has created that character, which I think he has because, you know, he went on Raw saying, what is it? You didn't get your way to the audience. He has become that person. Actually brilliant if that's what they're doing.
0: If, yeah, if that yeah. is
1: not what they're doing. I don't understand how they could let the second biggest name in the company, probably the, the second biggest name in, in professional wrestling in the last, last decade, uh, just decide he's going home. That's right. Uh, and if he didn't, you know what? I hold blame to CM Punk too, because you know what? You have to finish your contract. That's what you have signed. This is true. And regardless of you thinking you need to be in the main event or not, that doesn't justify you just picking up and leaving, because the effect from this will be a lot more than just your storyline. How about everybody else that's affected by this? How about Daniel Bryan if he's affected by this?
0: That's right. Well, the here's the, here's the thing. I think that CM Punk... And and, and I'll agree with you. He is partly to blame, but CM Punk has always prided himself as a vehicle of change. He always wants to be the conduit of change in the business. He has a way that he looks at the business that he feels is the quote unquote right way. Now think about this. CM Punk steps away. They were supposed to set up Punk and Triple H for Mania. Brian steps in, gets in Triple H's face, goes into the chamber. Now you could do the right thing And give the, you know, have Daniel Bryan win the belt at the chamber and go to Mania. Then you get Daniel Bryan and Batista. You can throw Orton in the mix if you feel like it. But at the end of the day, CM Punk has the last laugh because Daniel Bryan may still get into the main event at Mania. So in essence, you get the last laugh because it's like, hey, even the guy who you felt wasn't over got the main event slot. And that's the thing that kind of, you know, CM Punk is always going to be that kind of a guy, a conduit of change. He thinks his departures is, 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 is that I've kind always of a... Been a
1: fan, Rick. I've always been a fan of CM Punk's, but I have to tell you, the last year, he ha- he is tired. This, the guy, regardless of what you think of him, needs a break. His match yep. qualities have gone down the tubes. His promo ability has gone down the tubes. He is tired. When you look at him, you can tell this guy's exhausted. And he just doesn't give a shit at this point. He, he, the, the fire is no longer there with him.
0: And he calls it, his matches shit. He's
1: frustrated, or is it because he's just tired? I mean,
0: it, it's a, it's a rough life to live. Well, he's called his matches shit. Somebody on Twitter was like, "Hey, man, your match with Seth Rollins was awesome." He's like, "Dude, that match was shit." Like when you're saying, "Hey, this match that you thought was great wasn't even me at my best." That's saying that's saying something. Of epic of, you know it's saying something of of massive proportions when your body of work you're summing it up as shit when it's still considered better than everybody else on that roster it's huge i you know what I would
1: you consider the best match you had this year
0: I think his best match uh his best match I feel was definitely the Brock Lesnar match I felt that match t- told a great story um heyman made that match I almost feel that heyman. Punk and Lesnar booked that entire match themselves. And creative had nothing to do with it because it was way too fluid. The storyline was way too cohesive and it was a brutal fucking match. That was definitely CM Punk's best outing. And the fact that they didn't give it match of the year because they wanted to give it to Rock and Cena. That's a separate situation all its own. But I thought that that was the best match because CM Punk made a, a, a five-star match out of a guy who's known as a bruiser.
1: So now we have CM Punk that's left. uh, Let's say he's left the WWE. Right. Uh, Where does he go? What does he do?
0: Well, of course, you know, TNA reached out. and And I'll be honest. TNA has Viacom money. It's very easy for Viacom to say, yo, let's fucking sign this guy. Give him whatever the fuck he wants. And even if CM Punk went in there and did five episodes of Impact and he had a hand in his creative control, I think that Spike TV and Viacom would throw some money his way, especially because of the way that they're doing, you know, they're like, like Spike TV is becoming such an integral part in the negotiations. They're doing, they're pulling a page out of Ted Turner's WCW playbook. Everybody talks about CM Punk going to I MMA.
1: You know, if CM Punk went to MMA, I don't see M- him going to w- TNA.
0: The only way I could see that happening is with a shitload of money and And he would probably want the clause in his contract that he wants creative control of his character. Whether they agree to those demands or not is a separate issue. Now, of course, there's the MMA card, which everybody's talking about, Bleacher Report, countless websites. And sure, CM Punk could go and have an MMA fight or two and maybe get a call up to the UFC. But again, he's going to go up there and people are always going to cast a shadow of doubt over him, much like Brock Lesnar. Because it's like, oh, it's a wrestler coming to play in our backyard. So he's going to have to validate himself. I mean, don't get me wrong. The fan base will follow, and he'll make a fuckload of money. But if he can't go in there and do what he's got to do, it's going to be short-lived as well. And then when he comes back to the WWE, his legacy will be tarnished because they'll say, oh, it's the guy that took his ball and went home and then couldn't make it in the UFC. That's the problem.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, it, it's, it's a really screwed-up situation. I mean... I like Punk a lot, but I don't agree with him just leaving.
0: I I don't agree with it either, dude. But y- you know, th- this is a guy like, and you know, even even missed and and a lot of the guys in the chat are saying the same thing. You know, this guy has an incredible mind. He's socially savvy. He's well aware of of how the internet works, how how the convention scene works. He knows how to connect with the fans on a different level. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes he can be surly as shit and rude and crass, but He's very very particular about how he views the business and he views the business the same way you said the you know the older attitude era fans view the business through a realistic lens that's how CM Punk views it he views the business as being real and how it should be booked and not everybody sees it that way Vince is still kind of stuck in you know cartoonish stereotypes which you know make of that what you will do you think
1: uh, let's go to Daniel Bryan for a second because I have a theory on him. You, you know, we, we uh, the internet is really upset that he's not over and he doesn't have the title and that you know all this stuff is happening. But let's if we look back to Austin because he's compared to Austin a lot. Yep, uh, I honestly think that Daniel Bryan is the most over guy since Steve Austin at this point. I could see that. Uh, he when Austin got over, you got to remember it took a year and a half for him to get that
0: title.
1: right? I mean, technically he was over 96, right? King of the Ring
2: 96. Yep,
0: when he cut the promo. In June.
1: Yeah, he cut the promo in June 96. He got the belt in April of 98. So it took almost two years. A good year and a half before he got the belt. And, you know, there were many opportunities. And the same story was happening to that. Why doesn't Steve Austin have the title? Right, but in Steve Austin's it, case... He built this storyline about Steve Austin. The only difference is Steve Austin got over on people yep. while Daniel Bryan is the underdog.
0: Well, the Steve Austin getting the title scenario also, you got to look at it from the standpoint that Steve every Steve Austin match told a story. It was a story of blood, sweat, and violence. You know, him passing out to the sharpshooter in a pool of his own blood and giving, a, giving the middle finger... There was, you know, it was it was a buildup. It was just a well-oiled machine of storyline that made that made Austin the legend that he is. The same could be said for Goldberg. That's uh, Steve Austin
1: though, Steve Austin feuded with so many people. He feuded with the, yep. the Rock. Feuded with uh, he uh, Feuded with uh, it, it, so many people. He, yep. was gonna, he was tag champions with uh with HBK. Right. Tag champions with Dude Love. There were many, many angles he was put in. Uh, That's Tillman, right. Tillman's got a gun. He was put into that. Love that. So, Steve Austin wasn't handled that great. The, the, I remember he, he should have gotten a title at Deadly Games where it was a four-way for the title. Right. That's when he was supposed to get the title and he didn't get the title. There were many situations. He was supposed to get the title at WrestleMania 13. There were. He did
0: but... the title on him. But there was also a lot of talent that made him look good. Like, even if you would have kept him in a feud with The Rock for three months, it was probably one of the better feuds that you can remember. Like, see, with Stone Cold, there was a different caliber also of opponents. You had your Triple Hs. You had your your Nation of Domination. You had your Rock. You had your your Corporation. You had The Undertaker. You had a roster of guys that any guy you put in there would be a match that everybody wanted to see. On the contrary, now we're stuck in an era where you have the five guys at the top of the food chain, maybe three or four guys that are on the upper echelon, and then everybody else is treading water. That's the thing, too, because they're not making new guys either because they're so scared and they're so dependent.
1: It's no mid-card at all.
0: They're so dependent on the Batistas and the Brock Lesners that they're afraid of putting the ball in the hands of a Daniel Bryan or putting the ball in the hands of a Dolph Ziggler. Cause think about it. When Dolph Ziggler won the belt, he was red hot. Then he got injured, and then he just he just now he just eats shit in the lower card. You know, it's it, well, that's, I mean, everybody
1: likes to shit on Vince Russo, right? Vince Russo was nuts. Vince Russo yep. ruined WCW. But one thing that Vince Russo did great was create an individual storyline for all the mid carders. That's right. That's why you had a guy like Val Venus, which. Everybody knew this guy's gimmick would never become a, become the WWE champion. That's but right. He was over. That's right. You have the Val Venus, you had the Gold Dust, you have the Ken Shamrock. That's right. I mean, these were guys that were over in the mid card.
0: Dude, they brought in Why? Dan Severn. Why were these guys over. They brought in Dan Severn to feud with Shamrock. Remember, for that short period of time. Like that's how Dan serious Severn. the shit was. You know, and that's that's what happens
1: were over. I mean, the only mid card like, you think about mid cards that were not really over, right? Like, you talk about the, the headbangers. They were over at one yep, point.
0: Yep, the headbangers were over. Fuck, even they Mark Merrow.
1: Fucked. Who wasn't over? Vince, and Midian. Yep. mid cards that were not over.
0: Well, even Mark Merrow. Mark everything Merrow was, was kind of-, of shitty. Yeah.
1: Mark Mar- Mark Merrow, yeah, they tried everything on Mark Merrow.
0: Yep, nothing. That's what happens, though. But the- he people- got
1: over with Facebook.
0: Yeah, but that was only because of Sable. Once you separate him, forget it. When they gave him that stupid boxing gimmick, ah, oh, it was over for him.
1: But I mean, regardless, they had a storyline. They had they were committed to telling the story and telling the angle. That's right. These mid carders, and that was the difference. The problem now is that you have a guy like the Miz, and you have a guy like Kofi Kingston, and r Truth, uh, and Biggie Langston. And Antonio Cesaro, and these guys are all interchangeable every week,
0: which is sad. And they because... all wrestle
1: each other every week.
0: Yep, and it's sad too because you have that's guys, bad. you know, says you have guys like Cesaro that you can push up to that upper card. Cesaro's a guy that that's been champion in multiple organizations. He should get the bump up to the upper card. But again, they're fucking scared. They're not a product of the WWE, you know, performance factory.
1: Well, you know what I think it is? I really think it doesn't, it's not the booking, that's the problem. It's the storytelling. And when you have a writing committee that it consists of maybe two, two or three, I think the writing committee is now 12 people. Right. So the creative team. Yep. So you have, uh, let's say, four people that are wrestling fans, two people that wrote soap operas, two people from Broadway, two people from television, two people from movies, and most of them are not familiar with the product, Uh, that's a problem. And a perfect blunder in WWE creative and a perfect example of the state of creative is that Stephanie McMahon promo where she spoke about how Paul White, the big show, was someone that she looked up to when she was a kid. (laughs) And you know what that's a reference to? Andre the Giant. That's right. Someone in creative remembered that the Giant and Stephanie McMahon were friendly and were close and that realized that, oh, wow, well, Big Show was called the Giant in WCW, so it has to be the same person.
0: Yep. That's the kind of shit they do because every creative guy that's involved has no concept of, um, you know, they have no concept of wrestling history. All they rely on is, what they can borrow from the headlines or what they can borrow from other organizations. I mean, TNA does the same thing. Look at their uh, Gail Kim and Lady Tapa angle. That's AJ and Tamina. They all borrow from each other because there's the, the talent pool creatively is in the fucking shitter.
1: Absolutely. And you know what? People like to shit on Ed Ferrara and Vince Russo. And yeah, they had a ton of shitty angles and a ton of shitty ideas, but they had enough good ideas that they threw by McMahon. That worked on TV.
0: This is true. There the were a ton The hottest
1: summer in wrestling. We have to remember this. The hottest summer in wrestling. 99, 2000. Two, two big summers. Was written by Vince Russo. Yep. The they whole were. higher power thing. The whole ministry thing. This was all written by Vince Russo.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was I one know, of the. All
1: that, the people I like to shit on Vince Russo saying that he ruined wrestling. No, he didn't. He did not ruin wrestling. He was at the right place at the right time. That was the trend. And you know what? It was interesting television.
0: Well, that's one of the things, too. In that particular case, you're looking at every... You can't say that everybody doesn't have a dud or two. You know what I mean? Dusty Rhodes at his... Um, you know, you have all these different guys that that's have...
2: Dusty. A-
1: dusty had two good years as a booker. People like to praise Dusty as being this brilliant booker in a dusty finish. Everybody talks about it, Dusty. Dusty had two good years, eighty-five and
0: eighty-six.
1: Yep. Like everything after that, eighty-eight, WCW was dead and stale, and it was because of Dusty.
0: Dude, the Dusty best He had
1: two good years at the booker.
0: The best creative guy that they have there is Heyman. And Vince is so scared of letting Heyman run with the ball because he knows he knows that there's there's nothing else. He knows that if he puts Heyman in there, we're going to get SmackDown 6, we're going to get great wrestling, and less fucking fluff. And he's scared of that. He doesn't want people to say, well, damn, dude, Heyman writes the product better than you do.
1: Well, no, you know, Heyman, Heyman is really... And again, when I talk about Russo, I talk about it in the right place at the right time. Russo did really well because that's where we were in society. The 90s were totally different than it is now. It was musty TV going on. It was still shocking television. It was still, you know, you think about how the Howard Stern show and WWE at that time are perfect examples of the, of the 90s and the yep. state of television. Yep. It was shocking. It was never seen before. These were things that, that we wanted. Uh, and, they were, you know, you could turn on the TV and you could look at it and go, oh, my God, I cannot believe that's happening. Now you turn on the Internet and you could see
0: anything Yeah, well, happening. You- well, you want to so know... the difference.
1: different. Vince Russo was really good for the time. I'm not saying he's great now. I'm not saying he should come back now. I'm not saying that his style of television would work now. But he got the time. The era worked for him. Well, uh, The thing goes for Dusty in the mid-80s. He had two solid years. He understood what the audience wanted. Uh, but it's a different time. And you need... An, uh, the audience is a lot smarter. Now, when we talk about Heyman, Heyman is great for the underground movement. But the problem with Heyman... Is that he's not connected to the pop culture scene, and yeah. I don't think Heyman would work right now. Heyman is great, but I don't think as a as a as a booker he he
0: would work right now. I would honestly. I would, I, being a wrestler. Well, you know what it is too. You also, you know, you reference Howard Stern. You reference the WWE. The, the thing is that we're still moving into into an era where the internet is a huge factor. You have to look at it from the standpoint that, yeah, Heyman, Heyman's booking is going to be questionable. But Heyman will give us a deeper mid-card. Heyman is always going to find the intent. What you got to do is you got to have – you don't need 12 bookers. You need basically five bookers. You need your main event booker. You need your mid-card booker, your divas booker, your overall programming and the guy that's going to book the tag teams. And that's it. You don't need 12 people to write your show. It's insane that that's what happens. Like, I, I, you know, I read on the web that Raw gets rewritten, you know, an hour before it goes on air. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. That That's all you need. So
1: you, I'm, not a fan of, I'm not a fan of committees Uh, in any sense. I think having a committee does not work. Uh, it never has. That's nope. the problem with WCW. At the time, WCW uh, they had a booking committee that didn't work. Nope. Uh, you know, but who's writing for the WWE? In the end, it's Stephanie McMahon that has the final say. That's right. Uh, Michael Hayes has an influence into storytelling. Yep. Uh, and those are the two big. And then at the end, it's Vince McMahon and, and, and Triple H. And the Me only too. real hope for decent writing is Triple H because he respects uh, the, the history of professional wrestling.
0: Well, and Zeb Dude, Alder- the time. Mantle is involved that too. Vince
1: Russo had pitched the idea of removing the ring, and Vince McMahon was behind it.
0: Oh my god, I remember that. I remember that he being mentioned behind, in an interview.
1: And, and I, that was the thing. I think it was in 2000. They wanted to remove the ring early 2000.
0: Out of his fucking. Get rid mind. of the
1: ring, totally.
0: No, that shit's and a little Vince crazy.
1: he's okay with that. He he said, "Yeah, we don't need the ring."
0: Yeah, fuck that. Like Vince Russo, Vince, you got With a lot of these guys, Russo, even with Heyman, you can't give them too much. But again, you have to let them work in their wheelhouse. Heyman should be the guy that can build up that entire mid card. He should write that entire mid card and then it give input to the main event level. Like, hey, these four guys are ready. Let's build up this story and move these four guys up. Because supposedly can't he writes be
1: relatable mix partner. And that, that's the problem. You don't have it. Austin was relatable because he was the everyman. He was a blue collar guy yep. that was getting screwed over by the boss. So, okay, The Rock was relatable because he was cocky and arrogant, and he had, he had everything people wanted. He was a good-looking guy, and he was a good talker.
0: That's right. Uh,
1: you know, everybody had a specific gimmick. When you look at Curtis Axel, for example, you look at Ryback, what are they and who are they? The
0: Ryback and Curtis Axel? Curtis or- Axel, what is he? What's his
1: gimmick? What's his story?
0: Taking up fucking space, dude. That's his fucking
1: gimmick. Okay, what what, what? what? Okay, so, I mean, we talk about gimmicks, right? We talk about Vince Russo removing gimmicks, but they, everybody had a gimmick.
0: Yep, everybody had a gimmick.
1: Val Venus was a porn star. Ken Shamrock was a psychopath MMA guy. Yep. Gold Dust was an androgynous, uh, you know, uh, possible homosexual.
0: Yep. Him kissing Razor and Ramon, everybody dude.
1: Everybody has... Everybody had a storyline. Everybody had something. Curtis Axel is what a, a second, a third generation wrestler. Yep. Uh, Brock Lesnar, uh, Brock Lesnar is what a big guy. Yep. Curtis uh, Ryback is what a big guy. It, it, was, it what, was. What's
0: uh, what's Batista? What is he? Who is he? Big pretty boy. <laughs> he's a he's the big pretty boy. There's no there's no story behind any. Like, nope. CM Punk,
1: CM Punk has a story, right? He's a level. That's right. He's a guy that's, that's uh, changing things. Uh, Cena is a white rapper, more or less. More or less, right? I mean, that's pretty <laughs> much what he started as.
0: That's right. That's what he did start as.
1: The guys that go over have a character. That's right. People still like characters. You need them, and and they need to get back to that in a sense, you know. And this is this is a part of KK two that I'm going back to. You still need some sort of kayfabe. You still need to fool the, rea- the, the, the hardcore fan. We've gotten a lot smarter. And, you know, True. the CM Punk angle, I hope, it, if it's not real, I hope they learn that stuff like this works and they need to make it into a work.
0: I can agree with that. I can agree with that 100%, dude. And
1: That's my rant. There you go. Just, uh, I spent 46 minutes. It's the longest I've been on the show.
0: Hey, man. It's, o- it's always good to have you on. By the way, uh, make sure to catch Andrew on Mat Men Thursdays at 3.30. Uh, him and Rich Dambolian putting it down for wrestling on the GFQ Network. And, of course, you can catch him right after that along with uh, John and Rich on, comic- well, on Behind the Counter as well.
1: Yeah, tomorrow we got the free-for-all. So uh, tomorrow's going to be fun. We'll be talking about the uh, Rumble party.
0: There you go. Make sure to tune into the free-for-all starting at 8 p.m. on GFQLive.tv. Yeah, brother. Thanks a
1: lot, man. Great job. Uh, all right, brother. I'll catch you later.
0: Always. See ya. All
1: right, later.
0: There you go. Our very own Andrew Zarian. Make sure to catch the Friday free-for-all on the GFQ Network. Uh, definitely a great turnout on the GFQ Network for the free-for-all. Those guys, him, Spencer Cobrin, Coco, They do a great job over there. Make sure to check that out. Of course, you can check out the player on mtrlive.tv, and you can catch the free-for-all there as well. All right, so we pretty much broke down Raw and the Royal Rumble in a roundabout sort of way, but I did want to talk about a couple of things that I've talked about at length before, but I got to throw this out there. Uh, Sin Cara and Rey Mysterio opened up Raw. Once again, Zeb Coulter comes out with an incredibly racist sign, super, super over the top. I actually shared that picture on, excuse me, our Facebook fan page, and it was, without a doubt, some of the most beautiful underhanded racism in the game. And um, it's one of the things that I feel is very well written with regards to the real Americans, because think about it, you got a guy who's Swiss, and an American guy, and pretty much country Santa Claus, and they were fighting two luchadors, and it was it was, there was so much there was so much racial undertones in that match but there was also a lot of great storytelling and this is what andrew was saying as well with regards to just certain people have characters the real americans are racist any way you slice it they're fucking racist even if you have a giant jacked up bootleg jason statham looking swedish guy he is still it's still racism you know, it, it's it's a beautiful thing because it's a well-written character. Rey Mysterio and Sin Cara looked good in that match as well, but that, that beautiful European uppercut and the gotch neutralizer from Cesaro really put that match over. It was a fantastic opener, and I really, really enjoyed it. Now, I will say this. Rey Mysterio and Sin Cara, you need to keep them in a tag team. I think they work very well together. Hunico really makes it work under the Sin Cara mask. And Rey Mysterio, he's starting to get back into his old ring shape. He's starting to move a lot better, and he's starting to have a lot better offense. And I think by keeping him in a tag team, it allows him to work safely. Just something that I got to throw out there. Also, you know, that match was a a hot match. It was a great match. And then it was just destroyed by Fandango and R-Truth, which, you know, pretty much... That match was was complete horseshit. It was a jobber fest for R-Truth doing the job. Definitely not, not a good match. Not a good match in the least. On the contrary, I felt that the match was rushed. They had poor chemistry, and it just it just did not work. But I will say that the segment following that was a great segment because, you know, Batista and Randy Orton had their little exchange, and as soon as that Brock Lesnar guitar riff hit. Everybody fucking went crazy because you knew that Brock Lesnar was going to come out there and fuck somebody up. You know, simple as that. They were going to come out there and fuck somebody up. And you knew that that was part of the that that was actually one of the few high points. The only thing that bothered me about that was the fact that they didn't do anything with it in the sense that Brock Lesnar came out there. He made a proclamation. Yo, I'm going to fuck somebody up if I don't get my way. And it just it just was done abruptly. Like, he ended up killing Cody Rhodes and Goldust, which I felt was, it was a waste. You beat up two promising guys in your tag team division because you make Brock Lesnar come off as a petulant child. It was stupid. If anything, he should have came out and, and, and got involved in, in Orton's match or gotten involved or attacked Batista backstage. You should have done something like that to make it look more more relevant, more... I, I want to say more streamlined. Have him come out and threaten these guys and say or else, and then you come out and you beat up Goldust and Cody. Does absolutely nothing. I I felt that it was such a promising beginning with such a shitty ending. It really was. I thought they should have done it the right way. But you know, Brock Lesnar doesn't get the match. Batista gets his ass whooped, or Randy Orton catches a F5, you know, or something, something of that nature, something bigger. Than him coming out and being a child and beating up Goldust and Cody, it just it just didn't work. As for the as for the battle of Cleveland, which was they they tried to hype it up, they tried to make, get it to be something bigger than it was, and it was absolutely nothing. You had two promising guys in Ziggler and The Miz who were up here two years ago and are pretty much the you know the equivalent of of the Divas commercial break match. Which is unfortunate because Dolph Ziggler, he's you know he he takes good bumps, he does good storytelling, and The Miz isn't the shittiest wrestler in the game. He's not, you know, he's not terrible. He's all right, but it just you know it wasn't it wasn't horrible, but it definitely wasn't great to say the least. Ryback and Curtis Axel taking on the Usos was an extremely competitive match. The only thing I felt was missing was that. The Usos continue to gain momentum, but they're not really doing anything with them other than feeding them all these up-and-coming tag teams. You know, feeding them Ryback and Curtis Axel, it's all well and good because nobody gives a fuck about either one of those guys. But the fact is that if you're not moving the Usos up to the upper echelon to challenge for the belt or even talk about them being in title contention, all these tag team matches are a waste of time. You're treading water. It's bullshit. Kofi Kingston and Del Rio, another curtain jerk of a match, just because Del Rio went over, even though Kofi Kingston had such a great showing at the Rumble and he he had such a great showing with Randy Orton, you job him out to Del Rio for what? For what? You job him out to Del Rio, a guy that I'm sorry, Del Rio could have a match with seven midgets and it would not be entertaining. It wouldn't be entertaining because Del Rio's just not over. He's not a guy that makes people give a shit about the product. I'm sorry. Everybody tries to say, oh, but Del Rio, he's, you know, he's, he's a great heel. He's a natural. Del Rio brings nothing to the table. Zero fucking charisma. Del Rio's about as charismatic as as this guy. I don't even know who the fuck this guy is. He's a USB drive, and Del Rio's more charismatic than this fucker right here. I mean, this fucker right here is more charismatic than Del Rio, it's disgusting. And I feel bad for a guy like Kofi Kingston who has tremendous potential, a great move set, but he just can't talk on the mic. Can't speak on the mic. His mic work is shit. He needs a manager. But yet you job him out to Del Rio for what? What what is accomplished? What do you accomplished? You know, it's um it's it's weird to me that Del Rio doesn't He hasn't hit his stride. You know, when he was with Ricardo Rodriguez, I thought he was starting to hit his stride. I thought he was starting to to kind of gain some momentum. Then you had that really awkward face turn, and then you had that forced heel turn for whatever reason where he beat up Ricardo Rodriguez, and now he's just treading water. He gets jobbed out to Batista, and then you feed him Kofi Kingston for what? Kofi Kingston's a a promising athlete, a promising competitor, and Del Rio just derails whatever momentum he had. It's stupid. And like I said, Goldust and Cody Rhodes, we know how that ended pretty much death. Uh, the Divas match, usually this is the point in, in, in the wrestling commentary where I just dissect the Divas match and say it's complete shit. But I will say this. The Divas match was decent. It was very, very good. There was actually a lot of high points in that match. There was more development for a lot of the characters, and I will say that the Bella Twins looked a little better in that match. I, the only problem is that they're trying so hard to get Oksana over, allegedly because, you know, Vince McMahon is a fan of hers for whatever reason. Maybe maybe she whispers sweet nothings in Vince's ears. Uh, but the fact is that the, the match itself, I, I can honestly say that the other matches... Were were below the divas' quality of a match, which is which is which is saying something. If you wanted to compare Kofi Kingston and Del Rio to the divas' match with regards to entertainment value, I'll say that the divas were very very entertaining, and of course the right divas went over, uh, the funkadactors went over, and I think they're trying to start grooming uh, Naomi as a challenger for AJ's title, which is good. I think Naomi's probably one of the more uh, competent. Of the newer Divas. It looks really good. That they're doing that. And I think that if they continue in that role. And they continue that momentum. I could see Naomi branching off solo. And maybe you can put Cameron with Xavier Woods. And then let Naomi run solo. Because I think she's the complete package athletic. Uh, She has a a cool move set. And the crowd is kind of getting into her. So, you know, make of it what you will. But I think it was definitely a better match. I, I for once... Mark this down, I for once have nothing negative to say about, you know, ab- about this particular match. I have nothing to say. I have nothing bad to say about it, so there you go. <laughs> so, the main event was was extremely well done, extremely well done, a lot of great storytelling. Once again, Daniel Bryan, tremendous chemistry with Seth Rollins, really making it work in this match. Uh, the ending was actually very good. Because you're really starting to to set up a feud with the Wyatts and the Shield. And the Divas... I mean, not the Divas. um. The Wyatts and the Shield set up a great feud going into Elimination Chamber. And you get your three competitors for the Chamber with Cena and um, Sheamus and Daniel Bryan. Which, if you guys have read the SmackDown spoilers, you know who the other competitors are. I'm actually curious to see what they plan on doing with one of those competitors that that... That gets done on SmackDown because on the SmackDown side, there's one guy who's in the match that I think is probably going to get written off. And I'm not going to spoil it because somebody's going to be like, oh, you fucking spoiled it. But um, I will say that the two competitors on the SmackDown side that are added to the chamber, one guy definitely has an asterisk because he's going to get written off. And I feel bad because that guy hasn't been on TV in a while is getting an opportunity in the chamber. We know he's not going to win, but um yeah. Just just think think of that when you watch SmackDown uh later on this evening cuz it's already Friday. I'm just saying. As for the Shield and the Wyatt's, I think there's a great opportunity there to take the two powerhouse factions in the company, throw them in there. If they were smart, they would put the Shield and the Wyatt's in the chamber. That way you can make great use of the chamber, start it off with, um, I don't know, Luke Harper and maybe Roman Reigns, and then let the other two guys out of there. I think it would definitely be a better use of the chamber than just a standard match. I, I Don't get me wrong. I would have rather seen the shield in the chamber as well just because it would have been interesting to see what they were going to do with that. But the Wyatts and the shield utilizing the chamber would be a solid way to go. I mean, you know. I I I'll see I'll see where it goes from here but the elimination chamber is shaping up to be a pretty solid pay-per-view and you know it's going to be right on the heels of the of the network launch and I I think there's tremendous potential there. So that's going to wrap up my uh my take on Raw this week but let's get into some of the other wrestling news. Um we are a little bit behind the eight ball with regards to some of the stuff we want to talk about but I will say um The Royal Rumble fallout, of course, everybody was talking about Batista spazzing out on a fan and uh, giving him the finger and just being an overall uh, douchebag after the pay-per-view. Again, it's Batista. Nothing surprises me. The big thing that did surprise me, though, was a lot of feedback from Mick Foley. Mick Foley was very vocal about how the pay-per-view was shitty, how he didn't like it, etc., etc., etc. He didn't think it was great. Um, And the other thing is a very interesting status update on Facebook from Mick Foley's son, Dewey. Now, if you guys are familiar with uh, Mick Foley, you know that, that when Dewey Foley was discussed, it was always about caning Dewey, hitting hitting his son with a Singapore cane. Now, Dewey Foley is, is about, I think he's in his 20s right now. He wrote a very interesting status update about Mick Foley, and I want to share that with you guys because it's crazy how Mick Foley's son pretty much Blew the lid off of this and everybody started talking about this particular status update. Uh, Dewey Foley's son, I mean uh, Mick Foley's son Dewey said the following. Sorry people who know much about wrestling, but this company right now is in some serious shit. This is really bad for their company because one or two individuals truly believe that their opinions reign much higher over the millions and millions of people who watch their show religiously on a weekly basis. It's such a horrible feeling obviously because it hits close to home. You have these guys who work their asses off 320 days a year who barely see their loved ones and they get completely disrespected and disregarded because Triple fucking H thinks that they're too small or not star material. My dad made your ass and people told my dad all his life that he would amount to nothing. So Triple H should know from experience that people that work their asses off and are told that they're worthless are the ones that make the company the best it can be. Without my dad, Triple H is just a mid Carter. My dad went out of his way to make sure that he turned Triple H into the intimidating, scary, cerebral assassin son of a bitch that he has become. So it's about time that people who deserve to be the best are given the opportunity to show it. WWE is 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 a fucking dictatorship, and it's truly ashamed. It's I think um, to answer your question, Jay, I, I believe he's in his twenties. Shortly after this message went out, this uh status update went out. It, it was deleted, but it's it's crazy that that this kid pretty much summed up what a lot of fans think in a nutshell. It also amuses me that he said that my dad made you with regards to Triple H, and it's funny because when you think about it, Mick Foley did have a hand in creating Triple H. He did. He was part of that. It was it was, you know, it was it was crazy to me. That that he he pretty much said Triple H my Dad made you. And it's funny because we talk about a lot of guys in this business. And when you talk about Triple H, don't get me wrong, I like Triple H. I he has a pretty he's had a pretty good gimmick. He ha, he's had a pretty good run. But think about this strip away D Generation X, uh strip away strip away Stephanie McMahon, and let's just look at Triple H the Wrestler. Now I want to pose this to you guys in the chat. Triple H, the wrestler by himself. When you look at him, is he a main eventer in your eyes? I'm curious to what you guys have to say because when you look at Triple H and, and his body of work, and you exclude, um, you exclude Mick Foley, you exclude um, Stephanie McMahon, you exclude Degeneration X. Is Triple H a main eventer? Jay says yes. Val says if there wasn't DS, Triple H wouldn't have been born, but not by much. Well, well, uh, Jay says that, yes, but not by much. Um, you know, Strider says Mick Foley is a legend. And, and it's funny because when I look at, at Triple H, don't get me wrong, he's had a lot of great matches. But me as a fan, I've never thought Triple H was a main event guy. I've always felt he was a guy that was in the right place at the right time and knew the right people. If you take a scale and you weigh Shawn Michaels and Triple H as main event caliber wrestlers, Shawn Michaels is a better main event caliber superstar than Triple H, hands down. When you look at Triple H, you realize he tries to get the awesome music. He tries to have the most awesome t-shirts. He tries to have, you know, the, the the, the best of everything. Think, look at Triple H's T-shirts and look at the music. You know he's the one that gets licensed music with Motorhead. He's the one that has the cool guitar riff, the cool lighting, the longer entrance, the badass T-shirts. Think about that. That that's part of obviously him being in the predicament and the and the family that he's in. But overall, I've always felt Triple H was an upper mid card guy to say the least. No disrespect. I mean, the guy's an executive, he's done a lot for the business, but when you look at his body of work as a whole, it's only because of the individuals that he was in the ring with that he was made better. You know, Triple H was made better because of McFoley. Triple H was made better because of The Rock, because of The Undertaker, because of Shawn Michaels. I've always felt that that's the way it was. Jay says, Triple H has a personality and a main eventer, but if he wasn't paired with a great personality, he would have been a strong mid-carder. It, it, it's crazy, and and you know, uh, Slick says, Rock was held back by the nation, he got big when he set out on his own, he had the swag and the words. Triple H was nothing on his own, then he got with DX and he rose to those highs. DX was his swag and his words. See, it, this is a, a very, very interesting argument, and, and it's and it's interesting that the audience looks at it so differently. For me personally like I said, not taking anything away from his accomplishments, but I just feel that Triple H was always a stronger mid-carder more than a genuine main eventer. Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Shawn Michaels, Hulk Hogan, Kevin Nash, um John Cena, Daniel Bryan, CM Punk. You look at these guys, they have something, they have they have that intangible that it factor that when you look at it you say to yourselves, "Damn, that guy can be champion." You know? Triple H was eating shit. Triple H was in ma- was feuding with Henry Godwin before he made it to the upper card. He got jobbed out to the warrior. You know? He got jobbed out to the warrior. He He did the blue blood gimmick. You know, Jay says, I do disagree with Bret Hart's comment that Triple H is a 4 out of 10 match wrestler. I do agree. Triple H has some good matches. He does have good matches. But I'm just talking about overall presence. When you look at him, it's like, do do you see a main eventer? Let let's think about this. Remember when The Rock started getting into movies? The Rock was in, uh, he was in the in the Mummy Returns. Then he did the Scorpion King, et cetera, et cetera. Then they tried to do the same thing with Triple H. He put out that workout book. He tried to um, they put him in Blade in in Blade Three. And they were trying to make something out of Triple H, and it just it wasn't the same. You didn't have that same energy. You didn't have that same, holy shit, this guy's a problem. And mind you, Triple H wasn't even terrible in Blade in, in Blade Trinity, but it was just the fact that WWE was trying to create a star from a guy that just didn't, he didn't exude star. Even Stone Cold, when you look at Stone Cold, they put him on Nash Bridges, he did The Condemned, he did a couple of movies, but... The fact is that Stone Cold wasn't even on the level that The Rock is. Stone Cold was an all-star wrestler and an all-star main eventer and an all-star uh, professional wrestler, but he wasn't a media personality. And they tried to do it with Triple H, and it didn't work. It didn't work. Yeah, I, Jay, I'll give you that. When, when Triple H returned to Madison Square Garden after the torn quad, he did get the greatest pop of his life. But, but that was it after that it was pretty much meh and and slick you're 100% right stone cold's big thing was tv stone cold as a tv personality as a guy that you want to see on your tv screen he was he was like this he was on point the rock was just on an on an upper echelon on a huge level and and that's where i see triple h in, in the grand scheme of things um, triple h was he was like the third tier guy if you it, if you had it like this, it would be The Rock, Stone Cold, and then Triple H in terms of of sellable mainstream media personality. I'm just saying I I think Mick Foley's son is definitely onto something. The kid did drop a pipe bomb and you know, it's something you got to take into consideration. As a matter of fact, you know, a lot of people are saying that CM Punk's frustration was that he was going to be put in a match with Triple H at WrestleMania and that Triple H di- that CM Punk didn't feel that that was a main event caliber match and that's the and that's funny because like I just said you don't look at Triple H and see a main event caliber guy anymore you telling me that I'm having a match with Triple H is the equivalent of me watching the puppy bowl instead of watching the super bowl sure it's enjoyable but it may not be what I'm what I should be watching it's the same thing so yeah Triple H is an upper guy He's a he's you know he's he's the he's the head of the company, but people don't want to see CM Punk and Triple H. I honestly don't. I want to see CM Punk and Daniel Bryan in an Iron Man match, or CM Punk and Brock Lesnar, or or something. You know, like like you want to do something. And it's funny because Jay says, "Can anyone name CM Punk's WrestleMania moment?" You know what CM Punk's WrestleMania moment was? Jumping off the top rope and getting caught midair with an RKO. Like, unfortunately, that's the only CM Punk moment you have. Think about it. Every CM Punk moment that involves WrestleMania are are, are moments when, when CM Punk was on the losing end. And I think that that's one of the reasons why the guy's pissed off. Think about it. He wrestled Orton at Mania. He caught that aerial RKO. He was dead. That was it. He fought The, the Undertaker in an amazing match. And he still lost because obviously they weren't going to have CM Punk break the streak. And this is the kind of shit I'm talking about. Putting CM Punk in a match with Triple H, it's just meh. Like, think about it. You have you have a $60 card, and you're going to have whatever main event it is, The Undertaker versus whoever, and then CM Punk and Triple H. The frustration to a degree is warranted, you know? Like, that's the thing that kills me. Like, I can understand CM Punk's frustration because Triple H isn't a main event guy. You're telling me, hey, Triple H is going to have a match with CM Punk at WrestleMania? Unless it's for the belt, it's not going to matter. That's all I'm saying. Ted DiBiase's son, Mike DiBiase, was in the news this week because he was arrested after a 12-hour standoff with police in Amarillo, Texas. Around 11.30 in the morning on January 23rd, Amarillo police found Mike DiBiase hiding under a large stack of cardboard shipping boxes and um, he was wanted for a violation warrant. He had a 12-hour standoff. He came out and um, was arrested. And it's unfortunate because here you have a guy, he did the WWE developmental system, he's part of the DiBiase uh, bloodline, and he's he's just dealing with personal issues. And once again, it's just... Uh, it, it it bugs me because you have a guy. Think about it. You take Mike DiBiase, Ted DiBiase Jr. You make them brand new Money Inc. You throw them out there, and you could have had something. You could have been onto something. Unfortunately, he you know he 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 pretty much washed out of WWE's developmental program, and Ted DiBiase Jr. was you know he he was just burned out because he was underutilized. It's just a it's just unfortunate. And you know I know Ted DiBiase. I, he 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 um. He made a statement about it, and he was just saying, you know, that my son needs to grow up, blah, 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 and he was, you know, he was just very disappointed. I'm bummed out just because this guy, he had the potential to be on the main roster, he he had a promising career, and it's just down the fucking toilet. It's unfortunate. That's all I'm saying. This week's New York Post had an article about Universal Studios possibly creating a physical WWE Hall of Fame that you can actually visit. Uh, NBC and Universal are looking to use that as a bargaining chip to keep WWE on their networks. So there you have it. It looks like NBC and Universal are going to try and dangle that carrot to see if WWE sticks with them, and they will be able to have a physical Hall of Fame at NBC's uh, at Universal Studios. Um, I gotta I gotta ask you guys: if there was a physical WWE Hall of Fame, would you guys go? And if it was at Universal Studios, would you guys check it out? I think that when you look at something like that, I think that the WWE Hall of Fame, much like the Baseball Hall of Fame is in Cooperstown, I would have rather the WWE Hall of Fame would be in Connecticut at WWE's headquarters and they would allow visits and tours and stuff like that. I think that would have been cool. Don't get me wrong. Putting it in Universal is fine, but I think that it just, it just makes it look like a sideshow attraction versus putting it in Connecticut... Or putting it in New York, I think that that would really be cool if they did that. Especially if you do it in Connecticut, it gives a reason for people to go out, check out the WWE headquarters, learn about the business, become more educated. You know, if you put it in Universal, you run the risk of oh, I'm gonna grab a hot dog and walk through the Hall of Fame. Like you really have to make it something something bigger. You know, like you have to make it something of 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 a of a bigger proportion. But who knows? I think NBC is trying to really leverage that to keep WWE involved. We'll see what the story is. Like I said, I'd like the Hall of Fame to either be, um, to be either in New York City or in Stanford at the WWE headquarters. I think either one of those would just be more appealing to fans than just the typical, you know, Universal Studios. But, you now it is what it is. Strider, there used to be a WWE uh, restaurant here in New York City. It was uh, WWE at the World and it was a very promising restaurant. I forgot why it fell through, but they used to do a lot of cool shit there. We did have we did have that for a while. That 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 we did have. So if you've been watching, you know that Hunico is now Sin Cara on WWE programming. Uh, the original Sin Cara was on a wrestling show in Mexico uh, called Tercera Caida or the the Third Fall, and they were asking him about the Sin Cara wrestling school and if he was under contract with the WWE and that they're using a new Sinkara. And it's funny because he said that he owns the Sinkara character and that perhaps his lawyers would be, talking, would be taking a look at it and talking to the WWE because he owns the Sinkara character. So definitely very, very interesting that the original Sinkara is going on record saying that he owns the gimmick and that WWE is going to have to talk to him about using that gimmick any further. So definitely very interesting to see where they go with regards to that. He did say a couple of interesting things regarding his lack of success with the company. Um, He said that WWE told him he couldn't work his style that he did in Mexico. He said that psychologically that had an effect on his work since he was limited with regards to what he could do in the ring. He never understood why they brought him over to Mexico knowing the style of wrestling. Um, He never understood why they brought him over from Mexico knowing the style of wrestling he did, but then told him he couldn't do that in the WWE. So, um, very interesting to to say the least that they did that. Um, He said that that led him to not working as hard, gaining weight, etc. But he's focused now and he's looking forward to wrestling in Mexico. So, I've talked about this about... You know, him Him uh, skipping developmental, going up to the main roster. I think that the Sin Cara experiment was a failure on both sides. I think in Sin Cara's case, he should have said, hey, I want to go to NXT, work the WWE style, get better at it, and then get called up to the main roster. I think if he would have volunteered to do that, maybe they would have considered it, and that probably would have helped him be a little bit more successful. I mean, putting him up in the main roster and then limiting his... His offense and his moveset was a recipe for disaster, to say the least. But, unfortunately, we'll see what happens. If he does, in turn, own his gimmick, maybe Sin Cara, uh, the, you know, maybe Hunico will come under a new mask gimmick and we'll, we'll run with that. We'll see what happens in the coming weeks, but as of right now, it seems that Sin Cara does own his gimmick. So, make of that what you will. If you saw Raw this past Monday, you saw a trailer for the brand new season of Total Divas. It looks like JoJo has now been replaced, and instead we're going to get a brand new bird. That bird being Summer Rae. Summer Rae will be part of the new season of Total Divas. I think uh, it's going to be very interesting. They tried to show a little bit of dissension. I believe they showed uh, Natalia slapping Summer Rae and calling her a stripper or some shit. So, you know, Summer Rae joins the cast of Season 2 of Total Divas. Who cares, but I know some of you guys watch that shit don't front I know you do um what do you want me to whoops what do you want me to say she's she's on uh, she's on total divas whoop the fucking do speaking of divas Matt Hardy is in the news this week uh you won't. you guys won't believe this Matt Hardy and his wife got into a fight were both arrested um and pretty much Matt Hardy has multiple scratch marks on his face. Uh, Ribby Sky has a swollen lip, a black eye, and several cuts on her face. Basically what happened was, um, Matt. the cops were called January 1st at 545. And uh, the 911 caller said that a guest just came in and said that somebody's beating the hell out of his wife. And what happens is that allegedly, uh, Ribby Sky came in, saw Matt Hardy was intoxicated, and the fight escalated from there. It's funny because... Shortly after this went out, of course, both Matt and uh, Ribby Sky were arrested for assault and battery. They were released on $3,500 bail. And um, what happens is, uh, Ribby Sky goes on Twitter, and she goes, friendly reminder that I ain't going to explain shit to anybody. Now go buy an 8x10, and she puts out her 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 link. Now, here's the thing. If you think for one second that... You two are going to beat the shit out of each other. It's going to end up on TMZ and nobody's going to find anything wrong with this. You're insane. Number one, if if Matt Hardy has a substance abuse problem, that's a fucking problem. If he's beating the shit out of his wife, that's a separate problem. And the fact that, you know, she put that out and then Matt Hardy retweeted it. Clearly, they're gluttons for fucking punishment. Thank you, Slick, for sharing the link. Please look at those mugshots. Because it is insanity. It is fucking insane. And it's like, Matt Hardy, what happened to you? Everybody thought that Jeff was the loose cannon and you were the the straight edge, you know, the straight arrow of the duo. But it's it's fucking crazy. It is fucking crazy. Jay says, I liked her because she's a major Giants fan and she was on Howard Stern, but she's a tool bag just like him. It's true. A lot of people speak negatively of, of, of Ribby Sky. I mean, like I said, I've never... You know, I've I I've I've seen very little of her matches to even come up with a with a decent opinion of her. I mean, I know she she was the Giants fan girl and she's wrestled and she's said a couple of inflammatory things that have pissed off a couple of old school wrestlers. You know, I mean, it's crazy because it it almost feels like they even haven't been married that long. I think they were married. They might have been married three months, maybe. And it's like, dude, you beat the fuck out of her, and she beat the fuck out of you? It's fucking crazy. It's insanity. But um, Strider gets a comment of the night for saying Matt Hardy looks like Rihanna. You know, and, and 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 Jay, you're 100% right. A week ago, there was a naked picture of them both on Twitter showing their love. It's true. They're, they're fucking dysfunctional as fuck. They'll probably end up on TMZ again for something else. But it, it's just fucking crazy. Definitely insane. Switching gears, all signs are pointing to Hulk Hogan being involved with WrestleMania 30, but not in a wrestling capacity. It's been said that Hulk Hogan has not passed his physicals with the WWE and that he would be serving as the host of WrestleMania 30, much like The Rock was host at WrestleMania 27. So take that for what it's worth. We'll see what happens. But Hulk Hogan cannot participate in a wrestling capacity after failing his WWE medical evaluation. Make Like I said, take that for what it's worth. You never know. Somebody may still catch a Hogan leg drop. But in terms of any sort of big wrestling match with Hogan, it is not happening. And it's true, Jay. Can we really say The Rock was a host? No. No, we can't. Looks like TNA is going to get a brand new participant in their knockouts roster. The one and only Santana Garrett from Shine is making the jump from the Shine organization and heading over to TNA As per Shine promoter Hal Hamui's uh, Twitter, he said everyone in Shine would like to wish Santana the best of luck in TNA. You'll always be a Shine original. If you guys have been watching TNA for as long as I have, you'll know that Santana Garrett appeared on TNA as a valet for Orlando Jordan, and she did wrestle on the Knockouts pay-per-view. She also appeared in WWE NXT last year, losing to Charlotte. Uh, Definitely looking forward to seeing... um, Santana Garrett in TNA I think she's a very underrated uh, competitor and I think she's going to be a great asset to that division Uh, Jay did just tell me MVP is now in TNA he was revealed as the investor that I did get to see before we went live not a bad move I'm curious to see how MVP works in the ring with TNA and from what I hear he and he he said it on his Twitter that he hasn't signed a, a deal yet I believe he's working on a handshake agreement We'll see what the deal is, but um I'm curious to see Santana Garrett and I want to see what happens with MVP's involvement and where TNA goes. Um MVP's a solid competitor. He did a lot of great work in Japan. Um he's severe he's he's uh, improved his game leaps and bounds, so I'm definitely curious to see how well he fares in TNA cuz TNA has a lot of guys that work the strong style, in particular Samoa Joe about how you know how they can hang with MVP. I'm definitely curious to see how that pans out and hopefully, you know, Samoa Joe can can get can benefit from this brand new push. Hopefully TNA gets their shit together. We shall see. We're watching with bated breath. I see I got a uh, communique from Slick. Uh yes, thank you. Thank you Slick. I actually am. Um thank you for that. Anyway, Last bit of wrestling news to wrap things up. Got a press release from the from WWE today announcing that the WWE app has surpassed 10 million downloads. Of course, this is in preparation for the WWE Network, and we should not be shocked in the least. But the WWE app has surpassed 10 million downloads in 220 countries. Of course, the app will be a key component for the delivery of the WWE Network. Of course, the app is available for Roku streaming devices to give you the network as well as Sony PlayStation 3, Sony PlayStation 4 and of course Xbox 360. And last but not least iOS devices, iPad, iPhone and the Kindle as well. And of course laptops and PCs will also be able to access the network. So take that for what it's worth. 10 million downloads, it's going to it's going to be a it's going to be a wild day February 24th. Anyway, that is going to wrap up this week. This week's wrestling segment. Uh, we got a lot of gaming news to cover, so let's not waste any time and jump right into it. All right, so let's open things up with uh, some news with regards to The Last of Us. I know a lot of you guys probably have that game on the back burner. Uh, very well-received title. Well dust it off because there will be some brand new single player DLC for the last of us. That is the left behind pack. It will be the only DLC that is single player. Any other DLC that will come out will be multiplayer DLC. According to, um, according to naughty dogs, Eric Monticelli, any multiplayer, any DLC that's going to come out is going to be multiplayer. The only single player DLC is this left behind pack, which is going to be a prequel for the main campaign. There you go. So if you're holding on to The Last of Us. Make sure to keep an eye out for that brand new DLC. Which like I said is a prequel for the main campaign. The Left Behind DLC will be released on February 14th. Gears of War is in the news this week. Because it no longer belongs to Epic Games. Gears of War is heading to Microsoft. Xbox Wire posted that Microsoft Studios acquired the rights to the Gears of War series and has given development for future titles to Black Tusk Studios, which was formerly Microsoft Vancouver. Uh, Rod Ferguson, who was the former director of production at Epic, will be joining Microsoft and will have a key studio leadership role at Black Tusk. Now, of course, this, this puts the kibosh on a couple of things. Anybody who was waiting for Gears of War on PlayStation 4, not happening. Gears of War will now only be on Microsoft titles, and of course, it, it it's going to be a, a flagship title right up there with Halo and Titanfall. You know the usual Microsoft titles. Make of it what you will. Slick is saying it has always it was, it always was a Microsoft title. It was, but the thing is that with Epic Games, they were they were contemplating branching out into other consoles. It was it was a rumor for quite some time. I think Microsoft was smart in locking that up immediately, especially because the Xbox One it only has Halo as an exclusive and I believe Titanfall and their their exclusive catalog isn't that big. So you know, I think this was partly a strategic move for them to ensure that they can keep that in house. Again, I'm 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 purely sharing my opinion on that because Gears of War, for as long as I've known and as long as I've played that series, has always been a Microsoft series. So I was shocked that the, when those rumors surfaced about them possibly, you know, making the jump to Sony Systems as well, I said to myself, "That's not going to happen." And I actually thought that Microsoft was just going to pay a fuckload of money for exclusive for exclusivity rights. But turns out they decided to go the other option and just buy the the franchise altogether. There you have it. Speaking of the PlayStation 4, Eurogamer put out a very interesting article that said that PlayStation 4 could be getting emulation capabilities for PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2. Obviously, it's not going to work for PlayStation 3. That will probably be done remotely with the PlayStation Now service, but emulation of PS1 and PS2 games is looking like a possibility. Um, According to the report on Eurogamer that I read, they're saying that the games are going to be optimized for HD resolutions to eliminate the blurred upscaling problems that the PS3 had. So, very interesting to see that the PlayStation 4 starting to develop some brand new capabilities. A lot of stuff, of course, we know is rumor, but I'm very interested in this emulation concept. Of course, PlayStation now is the bigger, you know, the bigger part, part of that, but we'll see what happens with regards to emulation with PS1 and PS2. As for rumors, the biggest set of rumors came from the Microsoft camp this week. Um, there were a lot of articles on The Verge, uh, Kotaku, a lot of sites talking about a lot of different rumors. A lot of them are actually uh, pretty legit, but I will still approach them with a grain of salt. The first being that there will be a huge mage, uh, a huge Xbox One dashboard update in March, which will fix uh, the party chat problems and also any of these social features for Xbox Live. In addition to that, there's also a rumor that there will be a white Xbox One released in um, later on this year, probably October, to coincide with the launch of a game called Sunset Overdrive. In addition to that, there's also a rumor stating that we will be getting a one terabyte version of the Xbox One, rumored for release in November. Also, there's another rumor stating that there may be an Xbox One unit that is released without a Blu-ray drive or a Bluetooth adapter, and that that would be a, a lower grade system, and of course, would be cheaper. Now I'm curious to see if that's going to be the case with them releasing a console without a Blu-ray drive. It, I, I really am not 100% sure that that that's where they want to go with it. I think if anything, maybe a white console might work, or a one terabyte version would work. If they were smart, they'd release the one terabyte version at 4.99 and then drop the version that's out now to 3.99 to compete head to head with the PlayStation 4. That would be where I would go, but again. Uh, these are all rumors, so take it as you will. There's also a leaked image, which I'm sure if you look around on the web, you can find of a special edition Titanfall Xbox One, which will be released to coincide when the game drops. Strider says in the chat, why the hell would they drop Blu-ray? Dude, I'm curious as, as, as hell as to why they would do that. Again, this is why this is a rumor. Uh, but to go with what Slick says, it's definitely the cost of money. You know, it's it's the cost of the system. They're going to be like, fuck, we got to pay Sony for every Blu-ray drive we throw into this system. Let's try and see if we can sell it without it. Now, this opens up a bunch of questions. How are you going to get the games on there? Are they all going to be downloadable games? And if that's the case, is it going to be the one terabyte system without the Blu-ray drive? There's a, a plethora of questions, but um, let's just go with the stuff that may actually be legit. A white Xbox One. I can see that happening, and a Titanfall version of the console, I can see that happening as well. Now, the system without the Blu-ray drive, eh, you know, it's it's weird. It's definitely weird. As for Nintendo, Nintendo is in a very, very weird place. Now, here's 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 where Nintendo stands. It's like, Nintendo is making a lot of money with the 3DS, but the Wii U, let's not kid ourselves... Fucking failure. So Nintendo did a a recent brief. They did a briefing this week. And they were talking about Nintendo DS consoles. um, Nintendo DS titles. Coming to the Wii U Virtual Console. So that's something definitely that will. Extend the shelf life of the system. As it it appears now. They want to try and do something using mobile devices. But if you think that you're going to be able to play Mario on your iPad. Or on your iPhone. That's not where they're going. What they want to try and do is release content on handheld content you know on iPhones, tablets, mobile devices that leads people back to their signature devices, which is weird because honestly, and we've talked about this at length, especially with uh, with Josh who writes for us, and Josh said he's like, what what's so hard about putting Super Mario Brothers One or Super Mario Brothers Two on Android and iOS devices?" and charging 2.99 for it. Everybody would buy it. Everybody would buy a Super Mario 2 to play on their on their iPhones or their iPads. They would. See, Pokemon is different because Pokemon making makes a lot of money, but a lot of people, you know, Pokemon thrives on on handheld consoles. I definitely wouldn't do that. But if it was something like older stuff like um like the original Donkey Kong Excite Bike. I would release Excite Bike on on you know iPhone or iPad or iPod. I would I would definitely do that or Android devices. I'm not saying, you know, release Donkey Kong Country, but stuff you know stuff from the older catalog, the original Legend of Zelda. Maybe you could release that as a um you know on on iOS or Android devices. But it seems that what they want to try and do is they want to leverage the mobile component and just drive people to get on, you know, to get on their their flagship consoles. The problem is that right now there's not much they can do. Mario Kart 8 is probably the most anticipated game on the horizon, but other than that, there there's really not much to work with. Everybody was talking about Wii Fit and, and how well that was supposed to work out, and nobody's really giving a shit about that. You know, Nintendo is saying, they put out a statement, get this, they said... When you adapt too much, you lose what's unique about you, which is interesting because the reason that they're not they're not succeeding is because they're not adapting at all. And that's where I feel Nintendo is losing the battle they're They're, they're so locked into really trying to keep themselves successful by not stepping out of their comfort zone that they're in essence destroying themselves. Slick said it, the CEO did take a pay cut. Uh, Satoru Iwata did take a pay cut. And, you know, that's based on the fact that, the, that they just haven't been successful. Um, you know, right now they're looking at, get this, they did a presentation in Tokyo and Satoru Iwata said that the company will be in 2015-2016 releasing a new co- a new platform for your health. That's what it said. He said uh, Nintendo's looking for its next blue ocean, the next untapped market. According to the Wall Street Journal, Iwata revealed that the platform to be released was a non-wearable monitoring technology. So, they're really looking to jump into the health space? Nintendo is one of the most legendary companies in this industry. It, it, this is this is the system that we grew up with. The majority of our listeners that are in the chat have grown up with some sort of a Nintendo console, whether it was the NES, the Super NES, the Nintendo 64, um, you know, the Wii, the GameCube, the Wii U, whatever the case is, all of us at some point or another have owned an incarnation of a Nintendo console, and to see it fall by the wayside in such a way is is just a it's a sad state of affairs. And it's true, you have Smash Brothers, you have Donkey Kong Country, you have Mario Kart 8. But there's not you really don't have much else. They're not going out of their way to really raise their profile. And like I said, what's wrong with taking Metroid and putting Metroid on on an iPad or an iPhone for a dollar ninety nine? People are emulating this shit now, and and they're emulating it poorly and playing it on their mobile devices. Instead of letting these people pirate your shit, take advantage and make some money. Nobody's telling you to put Donkey Kong Country on on your you know on an iPad or on an Android te- on an Android phone or on a tablet but at least take that back catalog and put it out there in such a way that you can at least make some residual money Don't get me wrong I would play F0 on a on a tablet or on a mobile device I would do that immediately I think that there's definitely um you know it's definitely something I want to I would like to see but unfortunately Nintendo wants to go into the health space and they want to do all this other shit, and meanwhile, the the sickle, the sickle is just hanging over. It's just hanging over, you know. And and that's what kills me because Nintendo is such a, a legendary company. And as much as they they talked about Sega pulling out of the of the console wars, Nintendo is is destined to go that route, you know. In Nintendo's case, the 3DS is making them a fuckload of money, but eventually mobile technology whether it's your iphone your ipad or your mobile device is going to supersede the 3ds pretty soon graphically you're going to be able to play games that are leaps and bounds ahead of what you're going to play on the 3ds i mean the playstation vita is at that point but the playstation vita just doesn't have the, the 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 library or the catalog to make itself sustainable that's a that's a separate story all its own i just feel bad in nintendo's case that, you know, I think Val summed it up nicely. If Nintendo dies, so does video games. And yeah, you know, that's a little heavy-handed, but you have to look at it from the standpoint that Nintendo is the last, the last one, the OG of this entire console battle. Nintendo survived, you know, Sega's uprising, the 3DO, the Jaguar, all these other companies, and, and, you know, they've survived that. And it's just crazy that they're so they're so close-minded that they don't want to think outside of the box. And it's true Nintendo as a company will not die anytime soon. Strider, you are 100% right. But I just feel that Nintendo's uh footprint in the home console battle is just going to be gone. Nintendo's going to probably either live on as just being a handheld company or they're going to either have to they're going to probably farm out some of their IPs. I really see them going that route. Not for nothing, I, if, and look, if Nintendo kept doing portable stuff for the 3DS and they put Mario on the PlayStation and the Xbox, I wouldn't feel so bad. You want to know why? Because Nintendo and Microsoft wouldn't compete with them on a handheld market and they'd still make money with their characters. I honestly am curious to see if that would, what kind of numbers we would see if you were able to play a brand new Super Mario on Xbox One, and PlayStation 4. I'm just curious. I mean, I doubt it would ever happen, but I'm curious if that if that were the case. I mean, Sega's got a brand new second life by being on both console, by on all three systems, as a matter of fact, with Sonic and some of their other IPs. I I, I'm, I really just want Nintendo to succeed, but it's just very difficult to see them in the situation they're in and not be frustrated. That's all I'm saying. Take this as a rumor as well, but I read on NeoGAF that Crackdown 3 is rumored to be coming to Xbox One in 2016. Make of that what you will. Crackdown is a is a guilty pleasure. I I have no problem playing that game, but whatever. I mean, you put out another Crackdown, great. You don't no loss. In some uh, in some DLC news, Nintendo pretty much is getting shit on left and right. As any DLC for Arkham Origins is not going to be coming to the Wii U, Warner Brothers allegedly canceled all upcoming DLC for Batman Arkham Origins available on the Wii U. According to an email that they uh, that they sent out, they were saying that um, those people that paid for the season pass for Arkham Origins on the Nintendo, on the Wii U received the following email. Thank you so much for your support of Batman Arkham Origins on the Wii U. We are contacting you today because you purchased the Arkham Origins Season Pass for the Wii U. We hope you've been enjoying the content that has been delivered thus far. Based on demand for DLC for the system, Warner Bros. Interactive has made the decision to remove its offering of the upcoming new story campaign for the Wii U. As a result, we will be crediting the entire 19.99 plus tax of the Season Pass back to your Nintendo eShop account. You will still be able to enjoy the content already released thus far. We apologize for any mis- inconvenience that this may cause, and thank you for your support of the game. So there you have it. Not even gonna—they're not even giving you D, the DLC. Like this is this is what's happened with the Wii U. The Wii U can't catch a break at all. They don't even want to give you the fucking DLC. They'd rather give you your money back and take it for what it's worth. Nintendo will, is offering an eShop credit to those that purchased the season pass due to the yank support and if you want further information you can always check out go nintendo for that because that's the the that's the site that broke the story if you're a killer instinct fan i'm sure that you've seen that there's a new trailer showing that the next character to be unleashed is spinal and there was also a back-ended uh teaser for the character fulgore but besides that during the spinal download uh that will be coming on the console very soon they're actually adding an update for those that rage quit. Check this out. According to the um, the update, um, if a player in a ranked match reaches a disconnect percentage of 15%, they will be placed in jail mode, which lasts 24 hours. During this time, they will only be matched against other jail members and will not be able to participate in ranked matches. Each time a player is sent to jail, the amount of time increases by 24 hours, with a cap of 120 hours, 5 days. While in jail, a player's profile icon will automatically change to a jail icon. When a player's jail time is up, they will return to public matches. Obviously, this is being done to stop rage quitting, and I actually think it's a very, very cool thing that they're doing because if it's one thing that we all know, uh, that for those of us that play fighting games, is that there's nothing more annoying than people that rage quit. Well, Killer Instinct is looking to remedy that situation. Simple as that. The other bit of game news I wanted to get into a little bit is uh, pretty much n- not, not everything is bad news for Nintendo. Uh, Nintendo Super Mario 3D World and New Super Mario Bros. U have shipped 6 million units. Um, according to the financial briefing that Nintendo put out, um, New Super Mario Bros. U is now 3.8 million of its lifetime shipment. Uh, Super Mario Brothers uh, 3D World. Is around half of that at 1.9 million. So Mario continues to be. A cash cow for Nintendo. So it's not all bad news. Uh, the Mario platformers are two of the five Wii U games. That have shipped more than a million units. During Nintendo's fiscal year. Which was from April to December of 2013. Um, of course. Dr. Luigi Mario and um Super Luigi U are both def- are successful titles, but definitely not on par with the other two Mario Brothers titles. Also, uh, Zelda Wind Waker HD shipped 1.2 million units and 1.5 million units, respectively. So, we Wii- re- we Party shipping shipped, shipped uh, the 1.2, and Zelda Wind Waker shipped the 1.1. So, definitely very, very solid statistics for Nintendo. Again, not all bad news. Last bit of gaming news, and I know Slick wants to chat a bit. I will bring him on momentarily. Um, for those of you that are PS Plus subscribers, there's a brand new uh, plethora of free games that you can pick up, including Remember Me, Payday 2, and Retro Last Night. Uh, Last Light, excuse me. If you are a Vita owner, you can pick up uh, Mod Nation Racers Road Trip and Street Fighter Cross Tekken. So there you have it. If you have a uh, PS Plus account, a couple of freebies there. Remember Me, Payday 2. And Metro Last Light, and for the Vita, Mod Nation Racers, and Street Fighter Cross Tekken. All right, let me bring Slick on. I know he wanted to chat a little bit about some of the anticipated games for 2014, so let me bring him in so we can uh, close out the gaming segment. Slick, what's up, buddy?
2: What's up, man?
0: Not too much. What do you got for me? Um,
2: just to. I don't know. It's like we, we kind of talked about it when these new consoles came out, but I, I've been looking around to see what's going on with this year, and 2014
0: doesn't look like a great year for gaming. I can I can agree with that only because usually any other year that a new console comes out, I'm chomping at the bit to go and and drop money to buy it, and there's usually a solid number of, of, of titles you want to pick up. And unfortunately, in this particular instance, here we are practically at the end of January, heading into February, and neither console is on my radar to pick up right away. If anything, maybe in March, maybe.
2: It's like, I mean, like I said, I'm not in any rush to get an Xbox One, but there are some games that I would like to play, but... Right now, the only game coming out for the Xbox One exclusively that I would really, you know, want to want to really play is Titanfall.
0: And I'm like, damn, one game. Yeah, Titan Titanfall is definitely a, a promising title. I mean, I want to play. I played Killer Instinct a handful of times. I definitely like that. Um, you know, there's there's a couple of promising titles. In in the Xbox One's defense, I think that at this point you're reaching. You're reaching the, the standpoint where it's like, eh, you know, Titanfall, okay, maybe Killer Instinct, alright. But no, nobody's running out there to grab the shit. I, I definitely think Titanfall will move some units. But again, you're just not, it's not the same level of, of excitement when PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 came out. I mean, yeah, people are buying the systems and they're, they're making record-breaking numbers. But I just feel that it's not the same. Maybe I'm mistaken, but... It just doesn't feel like the same fervor, the same the same madness that there was during the last big console releases. Or even last year. Yeah, even last year.
2: I mean, last year was a great year for gaming. I mean, you just mentioned remember me coming out free for PS plus. On. Anybody who has PS plus who didn't already play that game should definitely get that. Yep. I mean, um, and um, I'm thinking even for PS4, the, the big games that I can think of, really there's only one big game that I can think of off the top of my head that's PS4 exclusive, and that's infamous. I mean, there are other titles, but we're not sure if they're coming out in 2014. Right. Because, you know, there's no set date, and that means they could get pushed back. And everything else, it's like, it's good in a way. It's definitely good that because we know Sony's not going to gonna cut support for the PS3 because, right. I mean, hell, the last PS2 game came out last year. Absolutely. The last brand new PS2 game came out last year. So, they definitely aren't going to cut cut support for the PS3. It's good that the console are still getting loved, but it seems like everything is really being still being developed for the PS3 or the 360 because a lot of these games, unless they are actual exclusives, are really just ports on the PS4 or the Xbox One that were originally being made for the older consoles.
0: Yeah, I mean, I they, can they, see they, that. They just released they
2: just released Tomb Raider for the PS4. And everybody said, if you never played it, get it on PS4. If you want to replay it, play it on PS3 or 360s.
0: Right, but... Here's the thing with that. Um, when you look at these at these games and people, and this is one of the things I've said before, people that run out and they're complaining about the better graphics or, or, or the graphics not being as good on Next Generation, you have to take into account, and PlayStation 3 is a shining example of this. Remember, when PlayStation 3's games came out, the graphics still left a little bit to be desired. But that was because developers were still learning how to develop on that system. They were still had they still hadn't reached their potential. They hadn't maximized the system's capabilities. People are expecting these mind blowing visuals, and yeah, to a degree, you're gonna get them. But there's still a, a, a big learning curve in terms of developing for these systems and harnessing all that power. Think about it. In Xbox, in Xbox's case, there th- this brand new Xbox One is the first system that's using Blu-rays. You know, that's using higher capacity discs. Nobody had been developing for that. If you play Assassin's Creed Black Flag, you have to play that game across two discs versus the PlayStation 4 version, which is on one disc. And this is what I'm saying. like People want all this... they're They're expecting all these mind-blowing visuals, but you have to take into account that you haven't harnessed the power of the system in its entirety in three months. It's impossible.
2: Oh, no, absolutely. I mean... Well, they just really got
0: the PS3 right in 2012. Right. The the third party developers, anyway. Yep. Because look at I mean, Uncharted, Uncharted, and God of War Three were some of the most visually impressive games in the in the console's life cycle. I mean, there were some other ones as well, but I'm just talking about you know five star flagship titles that you're like, holy shit, they're beautiful. Uncharted and God of War Three are 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 top tier. When you look at that, but again, it took time. It took it took time for them to finally harness every aspect of that system's power to get those visuals out there, to get that experience out there. And people, they 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 just expect next gen to slap them in the face as turn as they as soon as they turn on the switch.
2: And I, I can say that I'm somewhat guilty of that. Like I knew that there would be the learning curve, but I guess I
0: was expecting more. Yeah, but but there's an expectation, and then there's the expectation that makes you sour on the system. If you buy the system and you have that expectation, that's just because you want to get your money's worth. And don't get me wrong, all the extra features and stuff will be a factor in you getting your money's worth. But a lot of people, they're just like, yo, man, these graphics look like shit. Like, I can understand if you look at, like, NBA Live and NBA 2K. NBA Live looked like shit, and it was a next-gen title. NBA 2K looked amazing. But again, that's th- th- there's a lot of other factors at play, but in that particular case, you're entitled to be pissed off because you're like, yo, EA, you fucking phoned it in for your flagship title on a next-gen console. See, that's a little different. But when you're talking about, oh... The, the, the graphics on this game aren't at the uh, at the same level, or they look like PlayStation 3 graphics. It's like PlayStation 3 was advanced and still is advanced to a point, and you're complaining? How real do you want the shit to be?
2: And that's the other thing that, that occurred to me even when I put down my money on a PS4 last July. I look at the games that are on the PS3. You know, let's say last July. Like, how much better can it really get?
0: Seriously, and that and that's the kind of thing I'm saying. Like, when you reach that point where the systems, the capabilities of the system are just are just so amazing, it's it. That's when you just sit back and enjoy watching your money at work. But it takes time, you know. Like Rise. When you look at Rise, everybody spoke poorly about Rise. For different reasons. But visually there was a lot of impressive visuals in that game. And I said, Yeah, maybe the game left a little to be desired. Maybe the controls weren't that great. But but it was it was a start. You know what I mean? It was everything has a small beginning. And Rise was that. Right. Rise did not live up to what the the um the next like the gen three visuals were, but it still looks damn good. So does Dead Rising three. Exactly. And that's what I'm saying. But people have this they have this notion that they just they just want people to come out of the gate swinging. It's the same thing when when you first purchased an iPhone, when the first iPhone came out. It wasn't like the App Store had 50,000 apps in a, in a week. It took time. It took, you know, people mastering the system. It took time for people to get acquainted. It, it the same rules apply now with consoles. This is why it's like If I buy the console when it first comes out, or if I buy the console three months from now, it's not going to matter to me, because at the end of the day, I'm still going to feel like I got my money's worth. The only time that I felt I didn't get my money's worth was with Nintendo, because I think I only had three games on the Wii, and Wii Fit, and they rarely got played. So that was a little different. And that's, so,
2: like I said, I still maintain that's my only beef with the Wii U. Yep. I don't have any problem with the console. I would play it more if they fixed the damn battery issue. Yep. Because supposedly Nintendo has put out a new battery, but only in Japan. They haven't put it out anywhere else. There you go. And the Mad Cats, I think it was Mad Cats. I forgot who it was, but somebody had put out a third-party battery that was supposed to be so great and it turned out to be a piece of shit. So I didn't look well, that either. It's like the games that I want to play on Wii U are not the type of games that you pick up for five minutes and then you go do something else. It's that's like right. They're all-night game session games. Absolutely. So but that's... it's like I can't have my battery dying after two hours and nope. – you know, I've got to charge it up or something because, I, you know, I don't sit right in front of a TV. You shouldn't, obviously.
0: So I can't really charge my, my um, controller and play. Right. Well, I mean, this is one of those things where the next generation consoles, and I include the Wii U in this, are really going to have to work a little harder to surpass the expectations that they laid out when they were announced. And I'll I'll break it down into into a three-tiered approach. In Microsoft's case, you gave us an amazing home theater experience. But there's still some glitches that got to be worked out. Party chat, uh, certain titles. You know, I think Titanfall is going to be the title that's going to start moving the console in that direction. Too many people now are enamored with the home theater experience and and they're looking at the gameplay as just an extra perk. A couple of guys I know, they're like, you know what I do? I bought the Xbox One. I have an HDMI splitter. I have one port that, that runs into my cable and one port that runs into the TV separate. Because sometimes I don't want to control my cable box with the Xbox One. And I think that a lot of people are going to be doing that. Because not you don't want to walk in there every day, you know, Xbox On, Xbox Turn to Channel 7... Like, yeah, that's kind of cool, but until that becomes a daily part of your life, it's not something you're going to be doing all the time. You see what I'm saying? I mean, throwing I in a... I don't even watch TV that much. Exactly. Throwing in the NFL network and all this stuff, it's great. And it, and it definitely adds to the shelf life of the system. But I just feel that there's not going to be that same level of of insanity until good titles come out. Same thing with Sony. Sony right now, they're like, yeah, all our games look really good. We've kind of mastered making our games look good, but the other thing that's going to be a factor is the fact that you're looking at a system that is for all intents and purposes a a system that is going to put the gaming experience first. And what I'm saying is, think of it like this. You look at you look at the 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 PlayStation Now service. That's going to be the game changer for Sony. But until then, they got to rely on keeping you in the loop with good titles. In Nintendo's case, flagship, flagship, flagship. That's what Nintendo needs to do. That's what I mean. It's a three-tiered approach. Microsoft needs to get out from behind home theater land. Sony needs to get in front of all the ancillary services that they're offering. And Nintendo needs to jump into the flagship bandwagon sooner rather than later.
2: Well, Sony, I think, is doing a decent job making, you know, with the wait for the the PSN now thing by, you know, just the stuff you get with PSN uh, Plus. Right. I don't know what the issue is between Nintendo and third-party developers. I don't know if they're not shelling out money or there's just some kind of blacklisting or, or what. because I don't really get too tough into that, but... I don't understand why they're not making games for for um, the Wii U because, I mean, they make games for the 3DS, and you look at the, the Wii U, it's really a gigantic uh, DS. Because you've got two screens. Right. You have really more creative potential for gaming with the Wii U than you do with any other console because you have those two screens. Okay. And it's like nobody's
0: even trying to do anything with it. Well, I think I think we're in a we're we're in a we're in a state right now where each system is is trying to really keep their cards close to their chest. I mean, Microsoft made a lot of waves, you know the 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 alleged Titanfall Xbox One, the um tight, the Titanfall release itself. Not to mention, you know, they're they're making they're trying to make those strides. Same thing with Sony, keeping it close to the chest. They announced PlayStation Now. They generated a buzz. Now we got to sit and wait. That's where we're at. Yeah,
2: it's going to be a wait
0: and see. Yep, it's definitely going to be a wait and see. Anything else you wanted to add, my friend?
2: No, I'm good for that.
0: All right, dude. I appreciate your calling.
2: All right, talk to you later.
0: All right, brother. Peace. Peace. Make sure to follow Slick MTR Slick on Twitter, and of course, you can find him on our Facebook fan page. And make sure to check out his content on mytakeradio.com. It is uh, two minutes to two a.m. here, Eastern Standard Time. Just a reminder: if you are listening to the Blog Talk Radio feed, that feed will go offline at three a.m. Uh, excuse me, at two a.m. Eastern Standard Time. But you can continue listening on mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv. If you are listening via the Mixler feed, you can go to Mixler.com forward slash My Take radio. Once again, the Blog Talk Radio feed will go offline at 2 a.m. in approximately two minutes. Once again, BTR feed will go offline at 2 a.m. Eastern Standard Time in approximately two minutes. All right, so that's going to wrap up this week's gaming segment. Uh, we have a plethora of entertainment news I want to discuss as much as I, avoid, I tried to avoid it, we definitely are going into a little bit of overtime, but it is okay. Anyway, uh, last but not least, I did want to say with regards to this week's gaming news, I, I do have to stress, and this is something I've said on numerous occasions, even though we talk about this stuff and we sound extremely jaded, please note that there are great titles across the board on all the systems, including Next Gen. So don't take what we say as 100% gospel. Definitely go out there. Get your hands on some consoles, whether it's in a store or at a kiosk. Try them out yourselves. See what you can find that you can enjoy. Don't become, don't be jaded. Definitely take the opportunity to enjoy what next gen has to offer, but do so at your own pace. You don't got to go out there and drop $1,000 on two consoles and then look at them as paperweights for the next three months. Pace yourselves. Um... Definitely don't don't be a fucking fanboy. Thank you, Strider. That's exactly it. Definitely pace yourselves. Every system has great offerings. Even the Wii U has some great uh, first party titles. Uh, so does PlayStation Four. So does Xbox One. Xbox 360. PlayStation Three. There's all great stuff out there. Uh, be exactly. Thank you, Strider. Be a gamer first and foremost. Don't be don't be enamored with just beautiful technology because you know what. That technology evolves like this in the blink of an eye. Think about this. And this is and I'll close out our gaming segment with this. A couple of years ago, whenever we needed to look at our, our to look at the time, we'd pull our phone out of our pocket and we'd know the time immediately. Now, we're looking at smartwatches and we want our we want watches that not only tell us the time, but tell us how many emails we got, allow us to read our text messages, allow us to see the weather because we don't even want to pull our phone out of our pockets. And that's how far we've come. Think about five years ago, you wouldn't even look at a watch. I think five years ago, the only time I put on a watch was if I was going to a to a function and I was wearing a suit and I wanted to tie everything together. Those were the times that I'd throw a watch on. Otherwise, it wasn't even happening. Now it's like, oh, I want to get myself a Pebble smartwatch and I want to be able to just see if I get a text message or a phone call on a watch without pulling my phone out of my pocket. That's how that's how crazy technology is and I you know, I got to tell those of you that are gamers, don't don't be so jaded, don't be so angry. Just enjoy enjoy the industry, enjoy that You know, gaming has come such a long way. I mean, I come on here and I get mad, but I only get mad because I want all these companies to succeed because at the end of the day, we, the consumer, benefit. That's all I'm saying. All right, let's get into this week's entertainment news. We got a lot to discuss. Let's get that ball rolling, shall we? Well, let's open up with Hugh Jackman, who is officially now going to be involved in Warner Brothers' Peter Pan film. He will be playing the character Blackbeard. Um, Right now, Joe Wright is directing a film with a script by Jason Fuchs. Um, Of course, it's going to be based on J.M. Barry's famous Peter Pan character. Blackbeard will be the primary villain, and you will see a young Captain Hook. Uh, The film is expected to open June 17th, 2015. So there you have it. Of course, it's Super Bowl weekend, and one thing that we all look forward to on Super Bowl weekend, besides eating copious amounts of junk food and watching crazy commercials, is always movie trailers. And this weekend should be no exception. We're going to have new trailers for Captain America and the Winter Soldier, and we're also going to have a new trailer for Amazing Spider-Man 2, which I put a teaser for that. On our Facebook fan page, we're also going to be seeing trailers for Transformers Age of Extinction, Need for Speed, Muppets Most Wanted, Godzilla, and there's also rumors that we may be seeing stuff for X-Men Days of the Future Past and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. So, keep your eyes peeled this weekend, of course, most of those trailers we will be posting on MyTakeRadio.com as soon as they are available, but me personally, I'm looking forward to Transformers Age of Extinction, Um, I think Captain America and the Winter Soldier... Has done a tremendous job with their marketing campaign already. So any trailer they put out now is just going to be something to just build a buzz. Because before you know it, April will be here and Captain America will be in theaters. Same thing for Spidey. Spidey's already kind of having a decent decent run. But I think that they're going to try and get the best trailer possible out to kind of raise the profile for that film. So again, Super Bowl weekend. Yeah, it's going to be big for beer and and junk food, etc., but you can definitely keep an eye out because there's going to be a ton of movie trailers as well. I don't know if they're going to be doing a Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. A lot of people are saying that that's not going to happen because Marvel's already putting their eggs in one basket with Captain America and Spidey, but you never know. Maybe they'll surprise us, and we'll get a little bit of Guardians of the Galaxy as well. It looks like we have our villains for the upcoming... Arrow spin-off for The Flash with uh, Rick Gosnet from The Vampire Diaries. He will be playing Central City Police Detective Eddie Thawne, who, if you read the comics, you'll know that Eddie Thawne was Professor Zoom, or a.k.a. Reverse Flash. The other character that will be joining um, the series will be portrayed by Caitlin Snow, and she will be playing the character that ends up becoming... uh, Actually, excuse me, uh, Danielle Panabaker from Friday the 13th will be playing Caitlin Snow who many of you may know as Killer Frost. So there you have it. Professor Zoom Reverse Flash and Killer Frost have both been cast for the upcoming Flash TV series. Of course, Grant Gustin will be playing Barry Allen and Jesse L. Martin will be portraying um, Detective West. So there you have it. It's going to be very interesting to see. I mean... Uh Green Arrow's done a great job already using a lot of second tier and third tier villains in their mythology and they've done a great job with it. Um I'm curious to see how they're going to pull it off with the Flash TV series because you have a rogues gallery in the Flash in the Flash's uh universe that isn't exactly the greatest but I have I have high hopes. I mean they've done a really good job so far with Arrow and hopefully they will continue that trend With the Flash. So we'll see what happens as soon as that's available. A trailer that really blew my mind. And I was kind of beat up about it. And that was really a shitty segue. um, Was the trailer for The Raid 2. Which has been kicking ass at the 2014 Sundance Film Festival. Well, even though The Raid 2 hasn't hit theaters here in the U.S. yet. They're already working on The Raid 3. And basically the concept for The Raid 3 is is that it will be set three hours before the Raid 2 finishes. So, in other words, while the Raid 2 is about to be completed, the storyline for the Raid 3 will be beginning. So, definitely very interesting. I think the gold standard of action films is the Raid series. If you've seen the first Raid movie, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Val can, I mean, um, Strider can attest to that. So can Val. Uh, Do yourselves a favor when the Raid 2 comes out. Check it out. There is an incredible amount of violence, copious amounts, If you're a fan of martial arts films or or heavy-duty action films, I cannot stress enough that you need to check out The Raid, and The Raid 2 should be no different. Latino Review put out a very interesting story saying that Microsoft Studios and Steven Spielberg will be working with Neil Blomkamp from District 9 and Elysium for the pilot of the Halo TV series that will be airing on Xbox. Um, Of course, everybody talked about the Halo series as soon as Xbox One was announced. And it looks like sci-fi visionary Neil Blomkamp will be involved. Of course, District 9 was probably one of my favorite films. Elysium, not so much. District 9 definitely surprised me. I went into District 9 thinking that this movie is going to be complete horse shit. And I was pleasantly surprised by how, how well done and how extremely well written it was. So I have high hopes for Neil Blomkamp's involvement. And I'm curious to see how he will bring the Halo universe to life. Let's get into some box office totals as of course, it's a pretty dead weekend that the box office as Ride along continues in the number one slot earning $75.4 million total uh, 21.2 this past weekend. Lone survivor took the number two spot, bringing its total up to $93.6 million. Uh, The nut job was number three. Frozen was number four jack ryan shadow recruit was number five earning eight point eight million dollars bringing its total to 30.2 i frankenstein was number six american hustle was number seven bringing its total up to 127 million dollars august osage county uh, made five million dollars 26.5 million dollars total the wolf on wall street is well on its way to making 100 million dollars earning $5 million this past weekend. It is now standing at $98 million total. I'm sure it'll break $100 million this weekend. Lastly, The Devil's Due came in at number 10, earning $2.8 million, 12.9 total. Frozen sets another record as IGN reported that Frozen has dethroned Finding Nemo as the highest-grossing original animated film ever. It has earned $347.8 million in the domestic box office, beating finding Nemo's $339.7 million totals. Uh with regards to a worldwide box office, Frozen has made $810.3 million, and it still hasn't opened in China or Japan. It's actually set for a re-release in the US with a sing- with a sing-along version on its way. Definitely. Keep an eye out for that. I haven't seen Frozen yet, but I know a lot of people that have seen it, and they said nothing but positive things. So if you haven't seen it yet, definitely check it out. Movies.com put out a very interesting rumor, and I will cite it as that as a rumor, and that is that Josh Gad, who you may have seen in Jobs, is 20th Century Fox's top choice to play Ben Grimm, a.k.a. The Thing, in Josh Trank's reboot of the Fantastic Four. We've been talking about the Fantastic Four for the past couple of weeks. Of course, um, still still, pretty much uh, the main rumor that continues to be used is that Michael B. Jordan will be playing Johnny Storm. And right now they're looking at either Miles Teller, uh, possibly for Reed Richards, or also um, they're also looking at the the guy who played Jon Snow, Kit Harington, as another possibility as well. Not 100% sure if that's going to be the case Um Josh Gad, I mean, any any guy you pick is going to be human for part of the movie, and then it's just going to be CGI and special effects. So make that make of that what you will. I, I think um, this fantastic forecasting is going to continue to be fucking crazy for the foreseeable future. We'll see. I mean, Josh Gad, yeah, definitely not a bad choice. I don't know if that's going to be the choice that they're going to go with, but take that as a rumor for the time being. Meanwhile, on the Marvel side of things, uh, Variety's reporting that Captain America and the Winter Soldier has received so so many positive so many positive reviews that they are looking at already starting filming uh, beginning filming on a third installment. They want to bring Anthony and Joe Russo back to be in charge of the film, and while no official green light has been been given, they do want to lock that up and start working on a third Captain America film. See, hearing hearing such great things. And the movie hasn't even come out yet makes me really excited because it's a great time to be a comic fan. And Winter Soldier definitely looks good. I'm hoping that it's as good as everybody's saying. And if that's the case, I wouldn't mind a Captain America 3 film in the least. Another film that I'm shocked is getting a third installment is Taken. According to Deadline, they're talking about uh, a third Taken film with Forrest Whitaker being involved as well. Um, Oliver Megaton is returning to direct. And uh, Robert Mark Kamen and Luke Besson will be providing the screenplay. Uh, The first Taken film made $226 million in a worldwide box office. Taken 2 made $375 million worldwide. So, of course, when you're looking at totals like that, a third film is a no-brainer. Another film that I felt didn't deserve a sequel but it's getting one is The Purge. Uh, The Purge Anarchy will be released June 20th. Um, original writer and director James DeMonico will be returning to the film. Uh, like I said, the The purge was a solid movie. Does it need a sequel? No. In other sequel news, Thor, a third Thor film is also going down as they're looking at a script from the former comic co-writing duo of Craig Kyle and Chris Yost. Uh, right now it's looking like all signs are pointing towards a third Thor film to be part of the Marvel stage three and Rumors are that they are going to go with the Ragnarok storyline. Take that for what it's worth. Again, a rumor at this point because Thor The Dark World hasn't even arrived on home video yet. So to be talking about a third Thor film at this point is definitely premature. Supernatural fans should definitely keep an eye out for a brand new pilot, which is a Supernatural spinoff called Supernatural Tribes. In addition to that, they will be a pilot... For a show called iZombie based on the DC Comics book of the same name. So definitely two shows to keep an eye out that are both getting pilots. Uh, Supernatural Tribes um, is one that's probably going to get a lot of interest. Because Supernatural has such a passionate fan base. Um, You know keep an eye out for that. And iZombie will be a supernatural crime procedural. Which um, of course they're hoping will continue the successful trend that DC has been having thus far on the CW. It definitely would not be an entertainment segment with some what the fuck movie news as Sharknado 2, the second one, is 100% confirmed. Um, Tara Reid and Ian Zering will be returning as April and Finn. The filming will begin here in New York on February 13th. So definitely keep an eye on that. Of course, this brand new film will have a freak weather system that invades New York City, unleashing a Sharknado on the population and its most cherished iconic site. So only Finn and April can save the Big Apple. Whoop the fucking do. Anyway, it premieres on Sci-Fi in July. Get ready for a uh, brand new train wreck with Sharknado 2 this summer. And some other small screen news to wrap up the show this week. I'm very happy to report that Cinemax has renewed Banshee for a third season. Um, If you've been a Cinemax watcher for as long as I have, you will know that they have been doing a lot of original content as of late. Uh, Some great shows, including Strike Back, um, Hunter. Uh, Right now, Banshee has been doing an awesome job. Uh, Hearing that they're going to get a third season is definitely news to me, and I'm very happy about that. I definitely recommend, if you haven't, to give the show a watch. It's definitely very good, uh, very well written, and the characters do grow on you. I will say, though, the first season does progress a little slowly, but once it picks up, it is definitely an awesome show, and hearing that it's getting a third season is, is awesome news for sure. Anyway, that is going to wrap up the entertainment segment for this week, and is also going to wrap up this week's show. Uh, props to Strider. Cloudy with a chance of, oh God, it's fucking sharks. <laughs> Thank you for that, Strider. Uh, anyway. Let's wrap things up. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 213 for Thursday, now Friday, January 30th, 2014. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, you can email me mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also find us on Twitter at My Take Radio. Become a fan on Facebook. Add us to your circle on Google+. And, of course, you can follow our boards on Pinterest, if you are a fan of Instagram, you can also follow me on Instagram, My Take radio underscore Rich. But if you want the best MyTakeRadio experience, definitely pick up the MyTakeRadio app. It's $1.99. You can pick it up for Android devices in the Amazon Marketplace, for iOS devices on iTunes, and for Windows Mobile devices in the Windows Marketplace. And of course, if you want to get access to MTR shows for archives, you can find us on Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Zune Marketplace, TuneIn Radio, Spreaker, and of course, you can catch video reruns on the GFQ network. On behalf of myself, Slick, Andrea, Quark, Blade, Jay, and the rest of the MTR team, I will catch you guys next week. Thank you all for tuning in, as always, minus some of our minor mishaps, and we will be back next Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. I'm out of here. Peace. That's all, folks. Let's talk outro music for this week. I'm thinking we're going to go with something uh, something we haven't played in a while. The question is what? Which which, uh, which artist is going to get a showcase this week? I'm thinking we're going to go with a little bit of ocremix.org. And uh, you know what? I think it's time to close it out with Street Fighter 2's The Masked Man. From ocremix.org, the artist is nutritious.